Hello and welcome to episode 269 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans' weekly podcast of many topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and maybe you noticed this, but uh, this is going to be the final Retro Encounter episode of 2020, which means we're going to uphold the tradition that's lasted at least since 2016 and talk about the year of RPGs. This is our 2020 Year in Review episode, and joining me today are Zach Wilkerson. Hi there. Alana Hagues. We made it, kids. Nathan Lee. Hey, everyone. And Eva Padilla. Did we, though? <laughs> well, okay. We're recording this a few, uh, a little bit before the end of the year, so there's still time for the world to end, and maybe this podcast recording will never see the light of day. But anyway, um, 2020 has been a challenging year for many reasons. We don't need to get into all of them, but maybe some of them. Uh, like... In video games or otherwise, uh, how have our 2020s been? Any, any volunteers? Bad. Mm. Very bad. <laughs> Even outside of the coronavirus, it's been bad. But you know what? Retro Encounter and RPG Fan have both been amazing, so that's all that matters. I'm basically in agreement. I think this is maybe one of our best years for Retro Encounter, uh, in, in some small part to people being available to podcast, surprisingly. Maybe, maybe even in a government-mandated way. Uh, I, I thought that the year for video games was pretty strong. Like, there was a, a bunch of games that I really loved uh, that, that came out. Um, some more than others. We'll get into those. But uh, how, besides Zach and I, did, how did people think of 2020 in video games? Pretty good. Like, ge- generally, I, you know, last year, I think I only played, like, one or two games that were released in 2020. Um, and this year I played five or six, which, you know, is not a lot, but, um, but it's still three times as many as last year. <laughs> so, uh, so top marks to, tw- to 2020 for that being at least positive. <laughs> yeah. I think my number was also right around the five, six, seven range. But I at least had enough to come up with a top five for the RPG Fan Game of the Year feature, which should be coming up, I, I think, soon. Uh, that's scheduled for early January, and this episode should post on December 31st. Uh, 2020 for me, uh, I enjoyed playing, like, going back in time and playing a bunch of remake games. I feel like that was basically dominated early 2020 for me, just going back and yeah, playing geez. a whole bunch of stuff that, that was older. And then... Uh, the, the, the rest of the year, well, I feel like I got dominated by 13 Sentinels early, <laughs> like, like in the latter half of the year, but that was about it. This really was the year of the remake. Like, I, I, I think I even, uh, in the FF7 remake episode and the Trials of Mana episode, I maybe even poked fun at uh, the huge number of remakes coming out in 2020, uh, a few of which I took advantage of. As did as did Nathan. Um, just uh, glancing at this gigantic list of over 100 games that we compiled. There's Tokyo Mirage Sessions, Rune Factory 4, Persona 5 Royal, FF7 Remake, Trials of Mana Remake, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Uh, just bunches and bunches of remakes. Some some really really good ones, including the uh, many of the ones I mentioned. But uh, you know you know I, I mentioned I said that we have this giant list ahead of us and we're going to do basically what we've done in past years um, in the year in review episode and each of us take turns just going through the list of games highlighting a few that were our favorites or particularly noteworthy and just just sort of going down the line until we get too tired to podcast anymore and 
because 2020 makes me feel just tired all the time every day. Uh, maybe this will be a short episode, but I somehow doubt that. <laughs> uh, so does anyone want to volunteer a first game for our list? All right. I guess I'll pick the first one. Um, you know, uh, we did an episode all about it, and I think let's just get it out of the way right now. Um, I think the first half of the year in our little circle of RPG fans uh, was dominated by the oncoming Final Fantasy VII remake. Like, there is buzz. Will it actually come out? We've known about this for years. Does it even exist? To it making a huge splash in April after receiving multiple delays. Uh, and I think that Geez, were four of us on the uh, on the, on the remake spoiler cast episode that we recorded we in were. April. We were, yeah, yeah. We yeah. yeah. So uh, at least eighty percent of us played it. Um, uh, Nathan, did you knock out uh, the FF Seven remake? No, I think I was busy with Persona Five Royal at the time. So I didn't Fair, because that, that game only came out yeah. a few weeks ahead um, ahead of FF Seven remake. So it was a crowded March and April in twenty twenty. But l- let's focus talking about FF Seven. Um, that game was again was such a huge impact on us in that in in around when it came out and alana you wrote the re- the review for rpg fan on it yeah um i've called on it a little bit since i covered it and i think it's a remarkable remake like um i think remake does it a disservice i think it's more of a reimagining of the entire original first five hours of the game and i think credit to them for delivering something so polished and so like different you know everybody had all these expectations about it and it kind of defied most people's expectations um i really loved it and like i said i have called on it a bit um i think it's a really interesting new direction for square enix to go um like you know one year they could have a final fantasy 14 um patch or not patch um expansion you've got final fantasy 16 on the horizon and then the next year you could have final fantasy 7 remake part 2 or whatever they're going to call it um but i think like the best thing about remake is the characterization of the main cast and i think really like to take those blocky little pixels and pull them out and just build them up as well as they did like you know all five of those i say five red 13 only gets like what five hours four hours of time i don't know um yeah, it's pretty remarkable, I think. Um, it's a feat. Like, Square have been building up their, rebuilding their reputation for quite a while, I think. I think they lost a few people with 15, which I liked, but I totally get where people don't like it. Um, oh, you mean RPG fans game of the year 2016, Final Fantasy it comes 15. Up, it comes up every time, right? You know, hindsight's a thing. I've played Cold Steel 1 and 2 since then as well, so, you know. Um, I wouldn't put Cold Steel 2 there, though. Um, but, uh... Yeah, I think they've spent so much time rebuilding a lot of faith, and I think 7 Remake was a really good way to do it. I know it doesn't sit pretty with everybody, and there are narrative decisions I'm still not sure about, like, eight months down the line. But Mm -hmm. I certainly think it was, you know, it absolutely defied my expectations, I would say, which I think is really... I was happy with it, let's put it that way. I mean, like, I have uh, major issues with the way the narrative (laughs) resolves in this game, but... Overall, I still think Remake is an incredible accomplishment. I mean, the way that they managed to take something that is particular and unique for its time, and even now, um, and make it its own thing is remarkable. I I, I, I think it's, it's an incredible game. Um, it has its issues, but like, 
I haven't cooled on it. I may have heated on it slightly since <laughs> since we podcasted about it. I don't know, ten months ago. Um, but I, I I think that it it it, it might have its issues, but it, it is it is a game, and it is a remarkable achievement in accomplishing something that none of us ever thought was possible, which is like take mm-hmm. the most popular RPG of all time and turn it in, into its own thing, and it did do that thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think Alana hit the nail on the head where she said the best thing about it might be its characterization. Everything was just done very beautifully and executed very dramatically, uh, and, and it was really fun moment to moment, even in the new open world elements that they uh, added in things like the uh, like like the wall market chapters. So, and I don't want to go into the story too deeply, but they make some extremely weird and bold story choice choices in the uh, in the last chapters that make you sort of rethink everything you know about FF7 and sort of weird and uh, apprehensive about the future of the remake. The next chapter of this or part two of this will uh, probably not be what people are expecting is what I think. But we don't know when that's going to be. Like, I think, uh, it, I mean, 2023 doesn't sound like the worst estimate. Um, and and if uh, they enter a cycle, like Alana suggested, of, you know, alternate years of remake chapter, FF14 expansion, new game like FF16, then then this series has been maybe in the best spot I remember it being in since their PS1, PS2 heyday. Uh, Easily. yeah, and, and so like FF7 remake was not my favorite game of the year. Um, uh, but it was, I, I thought it was great, even though I did play it sort of a little too quickly, trying to fit it in time to record a podcast about it in April. I, I beat it in something like, 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 uh, like ten or eleven days, and I and I sort of wish I gave myself more time. But uh, I did definitely enjoy it in the moment and think of it fondly. Although I'm not sure if I've warmed or cooled on it. More like I've just found other games I liked more later in the year. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, try four days. <laughs> oh, oh yikes. God. Yeah. Yeah. I love embargoes so much. <laughs> I I would actually say that I've warmed on it to the level that don't throw stones at me might be my favorite game of the year. Um, In terms of, I mean, I had... A wonderful time with it. There was just such... Um, I received so much joy from the characterizations. Like, no game made me smile more um, mm-hmm. that was released in 2020 than Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, and I completely agree with the execution of the... We won't talk, you know, no spoilers here. But um, the execution of the ending is suspect. I don't... I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that, but I very much respect the fact that out of all the games this year, really, um, no, and most other remakes, um, in media, it interrogated what it meant to be a remake, to be this massive cultural force and to, um, have that kind of thrown to the wind. And by the end of the game, you don't feel nostalgic really you might feel nostalgic but mostly you're going to feel off balance you're going to feel unsure and there's going to be a bit of a pit in your stomach and i love that feeling oh yeah yeah, i was shook when somebody turned up at the end i was like are you joking like and i can't talk about (laughs) this for like another week 
Yeah, well, well, like like musical cues made me feel nostalgic, and oh, and and the and, and and the soundtrack is awesome in the FF Seven remake. But uh, yeah. but the the plot it's not a moment to moment scene for scene recreation of FF Seven. It's a remake. They are redoing or reimagining parts of it in ways that aren't the same, and the future of the remake w- won't be the same in maybe even more dramatic ways. And that's fascinating. And um, well, let's just say that forums and the you know, you know like the the niche JRPG spheres that we that we are part of were a buzz with everything happening about FF Seven Remake, especially around when it came out. It's if, even if it's not your favorite RPG of the year, it's one of the biggest ones, un, like beyond a shadow of a, of a doubt. Yeah, I think it's remarkable, regardless of what you think of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It it makes you by the end of it, you get this feeling that you've kind of gone through this guided tour of Final Fantasy VII in a way, but then at the but then at the end of it, it's like going back to an old hometown or something and seeing all your familiar haunts and everything. But then there's something at the end of the road that you just don't really know. It, it's somewhat unknowable. And it makes you feel excited, but also quite nervous. And that was one of my favorite feelings that I've had with media this year. So, yeah. All right. Well, speaking of media that we've uh, experienced this year, what's something else on the list we got to hit? I feel like Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition is something we should talk about. All right. Let's do it. I, I mean, I adore Xenoblade Chronicles, like the original one. But the Definitive Edition takes so many of the edges off of the original one so like you know one of the common criticisms of the original xenoblade was the way the graphics looked well it looks way better on switch um it's hard to find quests well it gives you like a line to like walk to your quests Uh, but i I think that you know like in contrast to remake which is a remake uh, of final fantasy 7 xenoblade chronicles definitive edition is it is Xenoblade, like, like pure and true, but it takes all the things that I think were difficult and sometimes maybe even problematic for some people in terms of like how to get through the game, and it tries to rub those edges off, and I think it does a phenomenal job of doing that. I mean, I gave it a very high review score when I reviewed it, um, and, and it's because I think it is a remarkable achievement in being incredibly faithful to what the game was originally. It's not nearly as old as Final Fantasy VII. Like, it needed, like, more of, like, a a refresh than a remake in order to make it accessible to people today. And I think that they did a remarkable job with that in, in Definitive Edition. Yeah, I mean, original Xenoblade is one of the best RPGs of the 2010s and depending on your region it's been uh 8 to 10 years since that uh since the original came out so a uh, a more accessible uh um a more accessible remake that uh that, that is just more playable and but preserves everything good about the original is extremely warranted I, the only reason I didn't play it was because that's a that game is like 110 freaking hours and I just and my uh, my time was otherwise yeah, occupied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I agree with everything Zach said. Um, I'm like in the middle of dipping in and out of it. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles is one of my favorite games of all time. Um, so yeah, just the fact that it's kind of like softened everything a little bit. And um, yeah, I, I'm a bit obsessive about the quests, even accidentally. Like I I'm still doing all of them, even though I said I wouldn't. Um, but I just I don't think there's an RPG world 
that has ever been so realized and so well presented as Xenoblade. Like, it's so important to me. I love everything about the Bionis and the Makonis and seeing it in, like, pretty HD colors, things, I don't know how to describe it, um, is just amazing. And, like, I, I don't think the story holds up as well as I remember it, but, like, everything else about it. Ooh, I mean, it's it so amazing. It's great. I, I just wish it wasn't I don't know. I, I, I've got to get further in it. I'm not, like, I'm not beyond the halfway point. Like, I know when I get to that bit at um, Aerith Sea and Valak Mountain and the Fallen Arm, I'm going to be crying my eyes out again. Like, I can see it. But yeah, like, it, it, it's it's one of my all-time favorite games. Like, you can't really, you know, you, uh, the only thing, and I haven't played Future Connected yet, um, I've heard it's not very good, and I'm... Not sure if I even want to play it now. That's the sort of extra chapter, separate thing that was added to DE. That's right. Mm -hmm. I mean, as as the person who has played Future Connected, um, Future Connected is not very good. In fact, it's actually (laughs) kind of bad. Um, I I mean, like I was comparing one of the things that was happening because, as I said earlier, I was playing it for review. I was thinking about Torna. The Golden Country, which yeah. is one of the best DLCs, maybe of all time. Like we're talking, like The Witcher Three, good, and, and that's for um, and that's for Xenoblade Two. Yeah, right. Um, and it's bad. Um, <laughs> it's, it, I mean, the, the story like it takes a lot of the wind out of a lot of it. I guess I'll back up here for a second. The the, the goal of that particular DLC for D- Xenoblade is to give Melia's story some more room to breathe, but instead it, like, takes all the wind out of Melia's story. Oh, that's disappointing. Because um, if, if there was one character I would sort of want additional fleshing out, it yeah. would, probably would be Melia. Yeah. Uh, it, so it, it, it's not great. I mean, like, it does some things with the battle system that are a little bit unique in terms of, like, changing um, chain attacks to all-out attacks and, and some things that I think are okay. But my biggest problem with it is that it just seems, like, totally non-essential. Like, right. it, it, it's just whatever. Um, and comparing that to the storytelling in Xenoblade or Xenoblade 2 or the Golden Country, it just feels like, why, why am I doing this? It just feels like more time on the shoulder. And the shoulder is a cool area. Don't get me wrong. Like It feels like a blend of Xenoblade 1 and Xenoblade 2. And I love Xenoblade 2 a lot. But it, it's not... It's not fully fleshed out. It feels half-baked, and it's not nearly as good. But to get back, I mean, like, but I still think the strength of the changes they make to the original Xenoblade make it worthy of a purchase oh, and yeah. worthy of a play for anybody. Oh, yeah, definitely. I would always recommend the Switch version over the Wii, and especially the new 3DS version. Like, there's no yeah. Yeah. there's no way I wouldn't recommend would recommend the other two now over this, like... Yeah, I was a bit mean. Xenoblade's story is great. Um, it's just more of a, like... I don't know, that game's never been about the story for me, necessarily. Apart from the second half of the game. The second half of the game is where it gets really good, and I will... You know, once I get there, then yeah. I will re-remember all the best bits and then re-fall in love with it again. I, I do love it anyway, but for, yeah. For me, that game is about when you reach Gower Plains for the first time, which is which is maybe, oh. which is maybe the second oh. the, the second major part of the game, and you just experience its vastness and sort of like how you, the, the rest of the game's open world elements will blend with the JRPG elements. And like the, the moment of first walking through that is almost recreated with every new major area you visit because this is this game yeah. is just so beautiful and delivers on its uh 
oh, like uh, it's open world side quest JRPG elements just it, it executes on all of them so beautifully and and doesn't really feel like any other RPG just like like it like people will say oh this is what FF12 wanted to be or this is uh or like um this is the best MMO ever made except it's except it's self-contained and not online like like uh, like weird comments like that are how people describe this game in terms of other games and uh Again, I, I confidently say it's one of the best RPGs of the 2010s, and I have not played the the definitive edition, but it's something I'm very interested in. And when I feel like revisiting that world, that will be the way to do it. Um, and because I mean, it was people get you know precious about the facial animations changing and um, uh, like small visual changes made to the game, uh, both positively positively and negatively received. But I, I think this is the way to play it now. Now that it's uh, now that it's on much more powerful hardware and has uh, you know more um, UI and modern amenities surrounding it. But we should move on to something else. Uh, what else do we want to discuss for the episode? Um, if we're just if we're just going through remakes, uh, let's talk Persona Five Royal. All right. Um, so okay. this is a so this is a game that um. I just finished like a week and a half ago and, uh, and Nathan played for review. Um, and, and the three and the other three of you have all played P5, right? I have. Yes. And Zach and Alana, you did too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've played P5. Um, yeah. So, so I guess there's like, there's some different, um, there's some different experiences we've had because I didn't play any of Persona Five, and um, and like Nathan is the only one who's played both of them. So Nathan, you want to like you want to take this first as the as the one who has the the foot in both worlds. Yeah, sure. So for for me, Persona Five Royal introduces so many big quality of life changes to the original Persona Five because basically every problem, almost every problem anyway, that people had with Persona Five. So a lot of the main issues were. Um, not being able to do what you want sometimes because Morgana will constantly tell you to go to sleep. <laughs> that was just the meme that came out of that game just because, you know, it just happened all the time. Like, you would just go out and just hang out for a day and Morgana was like, you're too tired to do anything at home. You're going to go to sleep. And that was the main thing that uh, Voila addressed. And I, 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 because you've only played Voila, you wouldn't know, but... That game that opens up so many more options for you to, when you play Royal. It just makes the game a lot more enjoyable. Just just that one change, and it's also like we can like go deeper into like the third semester and stuff like that. But but basically, the main thing with Royal is it's definitely the way to experience Persona Five for sure. Yeah, I yeah I definitely felt you know when I looked at things from the original Persona Five and looked at things from Royal like. The, um, as you mentioned, stuff with Morgana, um, even just there's a slight font change that I really appreciate for Persona 5 Royal. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think the font looks better, which is like a, a small thing, but, um, it, it speaks to a lot of the care that's been put into this. Um, there are more personas to summon. Um, there are more ways to, uh, summon and get personas. It is, uh, it seems to be distinctly easier than the base game, yes, um, except for easier. one, except for one particular boss fight. <laughs> <laughs> is that, there is there more fishing? Because that's what that's what Persona Five really needed, like twice as much fishing. 
No, it doesn't. No I did that's, do, a, that's a hard no for me, dog. Mm. I, I did <laughs> I did the one I did the one fishing segment that was like story specific and then never did it again. So sorry, Solosi. <sighs> mm, all right, um, I guess fishing of the year definitely goes to a game we're gonna talk about later. Um, Blood and Darkness. Yes. You know, so this game, um I put a hundred and like hundred and forty five hours into this game. Jesus. Um, I know. But that but that's the thing about it. It was both in it was both enthralling in a way of I um just kept playing it, but it was also like I was enthralled to it. Um because there is a particular way that persona games function that um really sucks me in and makes it mm-hmm. so that it engages your brain um in on I think too many levels in a way. And not to say that it's the most erudite, um, like complex narrative ever. <laughs> though it is though it is a good story. Um, just there are so many mechanics and systems to consider that it feels like a job sometimes to be playing that game and be on the up and up. Um in a way that other games don't really. And when I was playing um Persona two or Persona Four, those games are short enough and less uh, fully featured where um, when I start to get to that point of feeling like I'm enthralled to it, um, the game is already over and it's fine. Um, Persona 5 Royal just kept going though. And so while it isn't a great experience and it's pretty much aesthetically the most perfect game I've ever seen, <laughs> it's it still... Um, has some things that make me kind of uncomfortable with the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I binged Persona Five so hard uh, in 2017 when it came out in North America because it, it was so mechanically and and uh, and visually and musically awesome that I was c- compelled to do the next thing always. But it, it it really dragged towards the end because I feel like that game is. Uh, like I, 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 like I was flagging around the 80, 90, 100 hour mark because, <laughs> because, and, uh, and, and it's not always expertly paced, but I, but I was still compelled to beat it, uh, once and then in a new game plus pursue a, uh, a platinum trophy on it. So I, I, it's a game I like a whole lot, but, and the only reason I didn't play Royal this year was because I had too many other things to play, and I had only I'd beaten the game three years earlier. Like I, 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 it didn't have enough distance for a remake. I'm, I'm much closer to replaying Xenoblade than Persona Five, but, uh, but, but I mean, I, I like as a standalone game, it was already excellent, and now uh, people have responded pretty well to the new content. Like uh, a lot of the a lot of yeah. the fan base, which I do keep track of at least a little bit. Are, were very very positive about Kasumi. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of Kasumi fans among among uh, Persona people. Yeah, yeah. Both Kasumi and Maruki, the the, the new confidant, are also mm. he's also really good. Like the third yeah. semester is just a trip for sure. Yeah, it's it's very strange. Yeah, I've heard so many good things about the third semester, and like I kind of wish that it was a bit earlier. Like. Like Solosi yeah. said, I flagged around the same time you did. Um, like Persona Five has my longest play time out of all four of the Persona games I've played by, and well, no, it doesn't. Persona Three does, but Persona Three I one hundred percented. So um, yeah, um, I really want to play Royal because like there's things in it that I don't think I'm not sure I want. Like there's some extra stuff with Adachi that everybody says is great and. 
like i'm really interested in the new character but yeah like it's not like the new character stuff i definitely would like but i don't know about adachi's stuff and everyone's like oh it's great and i'm like "Mm." but yeah i really want to see what people think of it like yeah yeah i agree you mean, Dude, you mean uh, you mean a catchy, right? Oh, a catchy. Yeah. Sorry, Adachi is Adachi is a is a Persona Four and Yakuza Seven character. Um, oh god! <laughs> oh, oh, for a second, I thought I thought you meant like like Adachi Toru himself was in Yakuza Seven. No, no, no. Like, there's a different. There is a different de- detective Adachi in Yakuza Seven. Mm, gotcha. um, but we they gotcha. both work for the detectives and the police, don't they? It's like yeah. Well, no, no, not exactly. Um, well, a catchy and a Dachi do essentially. Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, remaining in Persona world, yes. Um, but uh, so yeah, but uh, um, I, I also did hear that um, people are higher on Akechi, um thanks to Royal. Even though people, he had a lot of fans uh, mm-hmm. even before Royal. Uh, but, uh, like I, I would be playing this just experience a slightly better version of Persona Five and meet this Kasumi lady. But uh, again, there's just too many. There's just too many remakes and too many games. The excuse I use for everything all the time. I will say though, Persona uh, Five Royal is a lot better paced, just because they they let uh, me grinding a lot easier, so it's a lot easier to plow through stuff that you've already seen. So yeah. that, that's probably what made the experience better for me. Right. Yeah, definitely, and yeah, and the I mean the battle mechanics and such, the the Showtime attacks are oh, those, so good. fun. They're oh. so fun. Oh, the are those dual ones now? Don't yeah, they? yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The tandem ones. Yes, there's um. There's one in particular that's a Fist of the North Star reference that yeah. is just so good. <laughs> you have my attention. It made me, I've seen it so many times throughout the game, and it made me smile every single time. I feel like Celestia would appreciate uh, one of the ones that's in the wrestling ring. Oh, oh, I, I am I am oh, a fan yes. of professional wrestling and Fist of the North Star. I, I even played the uh, not very good um, RGG Studio Fist of the North Star game. <laughs> yeah, um, that didn't look great. No, uh, remarkable. Remarkably, that was my first RGG Studio game. It almost made me less <laughs> less le- less likely to try Yakuza later. But that um, I, I fixed that in 2020. Uh, that's for damn sure. But. Uh, 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 yeah, again, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in Persona Five Royal. I'll get to it eventually, but it just didn't happen in 2020 for me. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that it was pretty well received in general for, but both by people that uh, wanted more out of Persona Five and people playing it for the first time. We, we've done three remakes in a row. Do we want to make it a fourth? Yeah, get your remake out of the way, Salusi. Let's talk about Oops. Trials. Oh, oh, okay, uh, okay. I wasn't necessarily going in that direction but i accept it uh trials of mana 2020 came out in uh april or may um for the 25th anniversary of trials of mana slash the seiken densetsu 3 one of my favorite super famicom rpgs one of my favorite 16-bit rpgs i've talked about my love for that game many times on podcasts and uh i i we don't have to go into it for very long but I uh, played that game three times in uh, 2020. Uh, two new game pluses that went by very quickly because you can break the hell out of this game and it's not very challenging. But uh, it, it preserves the story of Trials of Mana so uh, so accurately that I almost that I sort of wish there was a little more. It's I was like, oh, this is exactly how it was in the 16-bit version, and I and I remember it because I played the 16-bit version less than a year ago. Uh, because the um, the the Mana Collection came out in summer 2019, um, 
but like the, the game has been compared to a PS2 or PS3 RPG in how it's you know an action game that that works but is slightly sluggish, <laughs> and uh, in a way that I don't necessarily disagree with. Um, it, it, like it's completely different from original Trials of Mana in that it is a fully 3D realized Unreal Engine game. Um, with a detailed skill and customization system and a combo system that's way different from the old 16-bit sprites. But story-wise and environment-wise, it preserves everything remarkably faithfully. And uh, it was really fun for me to experience a story that I already loved um, in an, in a new way. Uh, and it's very playable, but I don't want to necessarily say it's better than all of these like huge HD remakes of games that were that are were already much more modern and elaborate to begin with. But if you're at least interested in the Trials of Mana story, uh, the 2020 remake is really, really good, and I still love those six main characters like they are my children or like my <laughs> like my favorite nieces and nephews or something like or you know around that vibe. And I played the game three times to beat the game with uh, with each of them and get the platinum trophy. It's yeah, I think Trials of Mana does enter my top five games of the year, but I, I, I am it, that's very specific to me because I already love Trials of Mana a lot. Uh, but yeah, um, now the evasion stat isn't broken anymore, and Duran is not a uh, slow as mo- slow as molasses anymore, and that's enough for me. And the shields work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the The evasion stat was busted in old Trials of Mana, and that includes the entire uh, like. 80% of what the agility and luck stats did and how the all shield equipment worked. <laughs> but, 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 but that's fixed now. Yeah. I, I do wish I'd picked this up. Like I was really determined to play it, but it just came out at the wrong time. Like it was sandwiched between remake and Xenoblade and another a couple of things. And I did play the demo and I enjoyed it a lot of the time. And then within like a week, I was going back over it over like with a fine tooth comb and was like, you, you compare it to a PS2 game. It's a PS2 game with some of the worst cliches, like the mm. janky animations, <laughs> the, the really mediocre voice acting. The, the, the enemies that are more like targets than opponents a lot of the time. Yeah. and But I will say, like, it's a million times better than the Secret of Mana remake. Like, a million times better. Like, I, I'm really glad for that team. And you can tell, like... You can tell that, you know, Square Enix were very focused on other areas at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm really glad that they've done this with Trials of Mana because it kind of gives the Mana series a bit more of a chance now. Like, maybe we'll get another good one. Who knows? And yeah, it, it reviewed really well. I remember Greg gave it an editor's choice. and I think he gave it 87 or 88, which I was like, wow, really? Yeah, um, I mean, how sad it is that I think this might be the first good new Mana game that wasn't a a, a direct port like the Mana Collection. Like, oh, ma- it ma- is. like maybe <laughs> it, maybe in 15 or 20 years. At least since Legend of Mana, and I know people's opinions vary on that a lot. Yeah, Legend and- of Mana is 2000. Sword of Mana, which was okay, was like 02 or 03. And I, I think right, those yeah. would be what you look at, which is sad because I, because uh, like, like, uh, there, Mana has several good games in its series and it, and it deserves better, I feel. Definitely, yeah. I mean, we did get Booskaboo in 3D. Yes, we did. So, oh, <laughs> Booskaboo and Flammy. Oh, if how good are they? they called Booskaboo by the right name. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, he got. He got. So cute. Yeah, he got. He is our. Per, I mean, he is Vuskabu. our perfect turtle boy. Turtle boy. Even if they did translate him as Vuskov this time around. This yeah. is a shame. It's mm. a crying shame. Yeah, Booskaboo forever. 
Buscabu and Tezo together forever. Oh my god. <laughs> what, what, what an all-star mascot team. Right. Should we talk about the other remake that I think I derailed you from, which I haven't played, but sure. There were so many re- there were so many remakes, I'm not hundred percent sure which one you're referring to. Hit me. Oh, I was talking about Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Yeah, let's do it. Then. That counts. Yeah, I want to hear about it. Um, Nathan, you reviewed Tokyo Mirage Sessions for the website. I play. I never had a Wii U, so I played Tokyo Mirage Sessions uh, FE Encore, which is the Switch version that came out in January. Um, uh, when I played that, it was my first time playing the game, and it's a, a mostly... Uh, it's pretty much a straight-up recreation of the Wii U version, but with sort of some side dungeons... And, and new content uh, sprinkled around here and there. Uh, but but mostly just tells the uh, story of the original Wii U version. I liked it a lot. It's uh, It was a weird Atlas-Nintendo collaboration that is uh, an SMT or Persona-like story mostly, but with a Fire Emblem iconography and a, uh, a lot of Japanese pop music and entertainment industry uh, influence. Because you're, like, you're, you're the, the main characters are all uh, talent and managers within a talent agency. And, um, the, and the shadow monsters that are plaguing the world are, are draining people of their creative energy. And, you, and uh, there's, you know, there's betrayal and a conspiracy and eventually world-shaping stakes. But it culminates in uh, one of the best grand finale scenes I have seen in the JRPG in forever. Um, you, uh, yeah, 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 oh, oh, yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about, Nathan. Oh, yeah, like like the the you know the, a lot of so many JRPGs have a moment before the final boss where people like join hands and pray or talk about friendship or something, and then there's a and then there's a big moment before the real fight happens. Like Tokyo Mirage Sessions has one of the best ones of those. <laughs> And I implore you to play the game or listen to our podcasts that we recorded in I think uh, in I think March. But uh, Nathan, how about it? Tokyo Mirage Sessions. We got a really good port, didn't we? Yeah, this like for me, Tokyo Mirage Sessions is like it's one of my favorite games. Like it's not like it's not like super amazing as a game, but I, hell if I don't love like just how how hammy it is with the uh, to, to the entertainment industry in Japan and just like everything about it is just like. It's just something that's I think is a, just a special experience for anyone for who's really interested in the entertainment industry in any kind of way. I mean, I mean, there's a one of the main characters. Is his dream is to be a Tokusatsu superhero, and that's that's my favorite side quest of 2020. With apologies to uh, a, a lot of stuff in Yakuza Seven. I was gonna say, well, yeah, I guess there is no Tokusatsu quest in Yakuza. Mm-mm, there so. isn't, and I checked. Believe me, I checked. I, I know you checked. We've had this discussion. <laughs> yeah, th- like I, I knew when you started picking when you picked up that game, I knew that uh, Toma's gonna be one of your favorite characters. Oh yeah, it, it wasn't close. <laughs> like, like in a game that who that has a pretty appealing cast, my favorite character was an easy decision. Like because I love Fire Emblem Cavaliers already, and they made the the uh, the Toku guy that believes in truth, love, and justice a a cavalier. So like, I was like, of course, I lo- of course I love Toma. Of course I did. That's perfect. But it, it, that game is it, it's like very pastel. It's almost overwhelmingly colorful. Uh, oh, God, and, yeah. and, and, and there's, there's sort of eye roll moments in both, in both how J-pop it is and how RPG it is. But if you can sort of get around those hangups or or maybe those aren't hangups at all and, and you welcome that kind of uh that kind of concept or that kind of aesthetic it, it's it's really really good like i i'd already 
I was already interested in in it when I just knew of it as a Wii U game and and sort of thought to myself, ooh, if this ever comes out on Switch, I'll be all over it. And I followed up on that idea and really, really liked it. I, I, again, I don't think it's one of my favorite games of the year necessarily, but uh, like I, I enjoyed it throughout, and I hope that enthusiasm was at least communicated in those podcasts we recorded, Nathan. Yeah, you, you really did love the game, and I honestly can't ask too much more of that as a big fan of Tokyo Mirage Sessions, so... Uh, I, just, I just love seeing more people just going out and experiencing this game and having fun. And also, I uh, like uh, I maybe shed a manly tear or two in the uh, end credits of that game. Satoru Iwata appears in the end credits um, oh. because it was it was you know uh, he was one of his last. Yeah, games. he was one of the exec producers on it uh, when it came out in 2015. So you know, rest in power, Satoru. Definitely. It's cool to see it come, though, because like it was a Wii U exclusive, and there were so many of those games that were trapped on that system, and now they're slowly all coming over. And, I mean, the last one left is Xenoblade Cross now, isn't it? So mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, a new su- uh, oh, shoot. Uh, Super Mario 3D World comes out in a few months. So uh, th- that, one Zen- that, that one and Xenoblade Cross are, are the last ones on my list, and Cross is the only one that does not have a certain future. We'll see. I'm, I mean, as someone as someone who uh, is occasionally a pastel nightmare and listens to a lot of pop music, the enthusiasm that you both brought um, definitely reached me, and I definitely want to give this game a shot. So you you are not a nightmare. That's <laughs> well, not in personality. But sometimes there's just there's just a lot of pastel going on. <laughs> this game is very pastel, but I, like I'm I'm I'm. I think you should be aware of what you're getting into and just how anime and how J-pop this game is. But so, like, um, be aware of that before you uh, before you throw money at um, at the on the Nintendo eShop. But give it a shot because it's I, I found it very very enjoyable. It still has one of my favorite battle systems in a turn-based game. It's it's a it's a very good turn-based battle system that feels fast moving, and I think Persona Five does this very well as well. Like a when you have a turn-based combat system where you're making choices and it's and it feels brisk and not sluggish is the uh, is that sweet spot you want to hit and um tokyo mirage sessions does uh, a very good job of that but again we we uh, went into great detail on all of that in those podcast episodes which i again listeners i encourage you to listen uh, to listen to um if you either played the game or aren't wary of spoilers but that's um, five big remakes in a row we talked about. There's also – there's a couple other. But let's talk about some games that are a little bit more new to 2020. Uh, is there something on the list we want to bring up for sure? We don't have to necessarily stick to the first half of 2020 either. Uh, I'll break away. Let's do 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. Let's. Now. Yeah. Okay, let's um, go. God, how do you describe this game to people? Like, I made a bit of a joke to myself. I was like, at the beginning of the year, I thought, oh, 13 Sentinels comes out. Wouldn't it be funny if it was my game of the year? And here I am at the end of the year going, it might be. It's not. It's pretty high up, though. Um, I just think this combination of, like... um, I mean, people have described it as a visual novel, and even I've used that term. It's more of an adventure game, I would say. Like, it's closer to a point-and-click game, but people associate VN with Japan, I suppose, so it's the easier term. Um, I just think the most remarkable thing about that game is, like, you have 13 characters with 13 stories that all intertwine into one big story that is really overwhelming, but 95% of it makes sense and it all works so well like 
I didn't, I got overwhelmed at times, but the game does a really good job of like logging everything and putting things into order and yeah, and it's just like, it's a total love letter to sci-fi as well, which I think is really cool. Like sci-fi is not my favourite genre in the world, um, but I think it does it in such a normal and open way, in such a fun and cutesy way. Like it's really celebratory of the genre and just has a lot of fun with the characters and the whole situation. Um, yeah, Jesus, yeah. the characters and the yeah. whole situation. Um, uh, 13 Sentinels, 13 giant robots, uh, 13 teenagers as their pilots with 13 intertwining stories. That, that, that is all true, but really there's, I, I, would, I would say, 16 or 17 main characters that are all intertwined yeah. and crossed over in these stories. And I, I, I don't think this is a spoiler, but this game has, again, off the top of my head, uh, time travel, giant robots, alternate dimensions, robot clones, maybe also biological clones, space travel, uh, like chaos theory. There is so much in that is thrown into this game that um, that it does not break your brain and does you know form parts of a co- of a cohesive whole is a remark of achievement, remarkable achievement in its own right. And and uh, again, you like whether this is a visual novel or an adventure game, I pu- I sort of put those two things in the same box. Uh, like 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 I, I would I would call it a, a, a I sort of call all of those puzzle adventures. Um, but the uh, and and also the way that they in, in, uh, incorporate smart inv- adventure game stuff, like introducing characters to concepts, and you're able to throw concepts at other characters to change dialogue, and uh, like you're situations like you can't go to the cafeteria to look this guy until you overhear a conversation about someone seeing him in the cafeteria, just like little things like that. That uh, it, that's all in a sensibly organized uh, like story flow chart for you to explore, or I should say, thirteen story flow charts for you to explore. For you to explore that yeah, th- th- that and it's also, I mean, it's a vanillaware game, and so you have these. Uh, uh, what's his name? Is is it George? Uh, ta- George Kamatani. George Kamatani. Yeah. He's not the main artist for this game, but he did do some of the art. Yeah. Yeah, and he, and and he's, he does the art for most of the games. Yeah. Yeah, and he's still the Vanillaware uh, uh, um, creative he's the lead. Head I think. Yeah. President. Yeah. Uh, this game is is absolutely stunningly pretty, uh, both visually and and musically, and has uh, excellent voice work as well. That it's a hell of an achievement. I think it is one of my favorite games of the year, and uh, I I enjoyed the hell of it when I played it uh, about a month or two ago. Again, this game came out in the fall, September. yeah, in September. Yeah. So I, I played it in November and had a blast. And uh, and, and Nathan, this is one of your uh, top picks of the year. Am I am I not mistaken? Yeah, I'm currently trying to decide if this or Persona 5 Royal is my favorite game of the year, but this for sure, I might put it up, up here just because it's more unique, but my god, this game just blew my mind so many times <laughs> with all of its story revelations, and the fact that it all makes sense really is an achievement. Like, this, mm-hmm. the story really should work, but it does. So sometimes you have to check the glossary or, like, go between a few of those flow charts I, I mentioned to, to help... To, to help it make sense, but oh, yeah. it, it, it 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 all sort of works, and I like I I wasn't blown away by the grand finale, um, but no. but there's so many twists and turns in the mid game to throw you off balance uh, that I I I was pretty riveted from uh, through the whole journey, and we didn't even mention this game is also a real time strategy giant robot action uh, like RPG. Yeah, it's weird. It's like twenty eighty. Like eighty percent is the VN stuff, yes. and twenty percent is like the combat. And I'm not the biggest fan of it. It's a bit simplistic it's, and a little yeah. busy sometimes. And, but... and, and, 
uh, once you realize how powerful uh, uh, sentry guns and interceptors are, like oh, like <laughs> sometimes the battles will play themselves. I, I, th- I think yeah. the 80-20 ratio that you mentioned is about right. But, uh, th- I mean, the fact that this is a 13 teenagers that uh, in 13 giant robots fighting a battle, and then the story part is, but how did this battle take place? How did these kids find these giant robots is the conceit of most of the story is, right. is pretty yeah. incredible. <laughs> Yeah, and I do like the way that they weave in enough story into those combat sections that they do, you have to do them, but like, it makes them more interesting for me, and I do, like, it's such a hard game to talk about as you're playing, because you can play most of the characters in any order until you hit, like, blockers, you know, so Mm. it's, it's one of these games that's so hard to spread because of, you know, the limitations of what you can say, because somebody Mm. may have finished natsuno's story or somebody might finish uh megami's story and it's like you can't tell somebody else because they haven't done that yet it's like you know vanilla vanillaware have always been on the cusp like odin sphere is probably their best game prior to this it's the only one i haven't played now um (laughs) but like i think 13 sentinels is their best game like it's just so ambitious and it works I, i've like, tried almost yeah. every vanilla wear game and this was the only one i've finished it's, it's the one i've i've enjoyed the most by far uh and uh it, again if any of what we're saying sounds appealing then you absolutely should try it like and again the, and the th- also these 13 stories um even though they are intertwined and interconnected smartly they aren't similar but like one kid no. is one kid is yeah. trapped in a Groundhog Day scenario where the same event on a train station platform happens over and over. One one girl, one girl, one girl is pressured by a shadowy government organization to investigate her plat her classmates, and she has to like play detective a little bit. One girl finds a little robot alien and hides it in her backpack, like like and and try and tries to uh, you know help it accomplish its mission on Earth. And another one is a kid from 1940s Japan who accidentally travels in time to 1980s Japan to learn that japan lost the war and but there's giant robots so he's trying to figure out how he can get a giant robot back to 1940 to the 1940s to help japan win world war ii which i did not know until this year uh, that most japanese refer to as the pacific war which is interesting um not 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 even bad necessarily just just uh something i didn't know like and those are just four or five of these it is this game is wild and i when i said all of the sci-fi um notes it touches uh, like earlier in this discussion, I I, th- I think I didn't spoil this outside the first two hours of the game. <laughs> no, you can't. It's really mm, yeah. hard to unless you like. Once you spoil one thing, you kind of spoil everything. There, so it's easy to be cautious around. Yeah. This is there is so much in this visual novel that was is so much fun uh, that I, I, I it comes highly recommended. And uh, again, and and uh, and I don't want to understate just how pretty this game is. The visuals are just mm. stunning. Oh, it looks so good. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it, the production values are through the roof, which is amazing considering this has been in development mm-hmm. since 2012, 2013. A long time. Like, it's been in development for a while. Like, it was a joke that it wasn't going to come out. And yeah. Here it is. Atlas, Atlas even paid to have it be advertised on the E3 badges <laughs> in 2017 and 2018. And they, yeah. um, mm-hmm. but they didn't have either. They didn't have anything to show in those years other than the 2015-2016 trailer that everyone had already seen. So I think this game was supposed to come out considerably earlier than 2020, but they uh, but but they didn't release it until it was it was good and ready, which ended up being I think late 2019 in Japan and uh, September 2020 yeah. in most other territories. But it was I, I hope I hope they made money on this thing because this thing was worth the wait. It is so good. 
Yeah, yeah. me too. But, Again, it mm-hmm. it is like Tokyo Mirage Sessions. It's it's anime as hell at times. <laughs> yeah. And there are some issues I have with certain characters that, you know... Also very fair. <laughs> yeah, so... I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, just be careful. But, like, I think... Like the positives outweigh like massively. It is an incredibly yeah. ambitious game, and it ninety five percent of it works. So, yeah, hats off to a tiny studio like Vanillaware. Yeah, it's so good. I think it got localized by Atlas. So, uh, um, so it was published in North America and Europe by them, maybe also in Japan. But I think they they just lent some of its publishing and translation muscle to it because uh, Vanillaware doesn't definitely doesn't have a uh, like like a foreign studio to help with that. But uh, let's also let's continue with our 2020 run. That's a, that was a lot of time on 13 Sentinels. It, it, that game maybe deserves its own spoiler cast, but we're not here. I'm here for that today. I mean, where do we want to go next? There's, we, we again, this document we have here is 107 games. Yeah. I counted. Um, if if we're waiting, if we're waiting for other stuff, uh, I can talk a little bit about Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Sure. Let's let's uh, let's leave Japan for once. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes, uh, yeah. Sometimes our our website could fairly be called jrpgfan.com. But uh, but um, uh, Eva, you recently reviewed Assassin's Creed Valhalla for the website. And before you get into our Facebook missions, that's not a JRPG. Try playing Origins, Odyssey, or Valhalla first, and tell me that isn't an RPG. Um, but Eva, go off. <laughs> so. So in so in the review, I wrote a lot about um, gender in this game and such. So you can read that if you want to hear more about that. Essentially, Ubisoft is a studio that has had some massive problems with sexism, and I think that plays into the game and the story. Um, as a game, I went into it wanting to play it because I wanted to figure out what exactly it is about Ubisoft games, Ubisoft world, uh, open world experiences that people still love and come back to time and time again. Um, I haven't played an Ubisoft game since 2012 with Assassin's Creed Revelations, which is a game I do not like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, people liked people liked AC2 and Brotherhood a lot and, and are much colder on Revelations is my feeling. Uh, yeah, Revelations has tower defense. Oh, good. so we'll oh, just yeah, leave yeah. it. So we'll just leave it at that. Um, but um, Valhalla, I was surprised by some things in this game. I was um, early on. I joked to a friend that yeah, this game is starting real slow and real buggy, and oh, I bet it's going to be so much better when I go to England. Um, and and the thing was, it was. <laughs> the the way that they have done um England and you know how it was you know, East Anglia and such at the time this game is set in the ninth century um they've really made something gorgeous it it is a, an an environment that does so much with um with the landscape and it's very pretty in a lot of ways but it has this sort of mysterious arcane sensibility to it you'll be going through the world and um in a similar way to breath of the wild where you'll stumble across something that you're not really sure what it is but this has some darker implications because there's some things with um druids and arcane magic that they're going to go into more with dlc 
but it gives this world a very mystical and somewhat dangerous air to it that I really appreciated. It made going through the world um, keep you on your toes a bit. Narratively, it does some very interesting things. Um, to spoil a little bit of it, you don't stay in England. You go to um, North America at one point, and that's fascinating. And you go to worlds which are not of this world, we'll say. <laughs> um, in in a non in a non Assassin's Creed way that is also an Assassin's Creed way. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> but those sections are incredible. I was very blown away by what they did with these um, landscapes, and I would probably recommend the game just for those sections. Um, it's a it's a it's a interesting game that came from a uh, from a, a studio that has a lot of troubles and uh, and criticism that it gets is going to be well deserved. Um, but I do understand a bit more about why people love Ubisoft games. And there is a decent deal of personality to make this unique. You know, um, without saying it, you basically said this, this, you know, uh, involves Norse mythology in, in ways that maybe you don't expect going in. But I, I think that's something that Ubisoft is sort of unafraid to do. Now that Assassin's Creed isn't just about people going back in time and exploring a conflict between two secret organizations – uh, they're like like Assassin's Creed Odyssey knocks on the door of Greek myth a little bit, even though it, but it's not about Greek myth the way that a different game on our list is, and and, and so like it, it, they're trying to blend elements of mysticism and myth into a game that's a little bit more grounded in history in in a way that is is very interesting to me and um is sort of consistent with what I thought more recent Assassin Assassin's Creed games were like, uh. But uh, you gave it a pretty good review. I think, um, Eva, you gave it an 85 overall. But uh, so l the RPG elements and the action elements are, are at least fun to, to execute and, and, and not just seeing how, the, uh, how myth and history interact, right? I'd say that the RPG elements, like with the... Um, I know that this was talked about in the uh, Origins review that was done a few years ago. The RPG elements are a bit weak. This is not... The weakest one of the weakest parts of the game is that the skill tree is uh, just ridiculous <laughs> and just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And basically, there's no necessity of choice. You just kind of keep going down it, and it's a lot more like the Crystarium in terms of being linear. Oh. So um, it doesn't seem like that at first, but 100% is. So, so the RPG stuff in dialogue and in some of the world's choices um, can be pretty good, depending on the character you play as, essentially. Um, but the mechanical side of it is still leaving something to be wanted. All right. Um, I don't know if this makes me more or less interested in Assassin's Creed. <laughs> uh, again, I've only played one Assassin's Creed game, and it was an, one older than Revelations. So uh, I'm, I'm, but I am at least curious enough to think about playing. Uh, probably it would probably be either 
it would probably be Origins if I were to play one in 2021. But I'm glad that this one was at least pretty good in spite of the, you know, uh, labor and um, employee respect struggles that Ubisoft has had recently. They're not the only game studio that is, uh, you know, that is guilty of those things. But it has not been a it has not been a squeaky clean year for them. Let's say, right. But this hasn't been a squeaky clean year for a lot of people. But let's keep talking about it anyway. Uh, uh, Zach, what's another 2020 item we should hit off? I feel like we should talk about Necrobrista. Yeah. All right. Uh, it, this is I mean, this I is my favorite. Random. This is my favorite death pun at least since necromancing the stone. So yeah, let's talk about this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I know Alana played this as well. So Necrobrista is a visual novel in the purest sense of the word visual. Like it, it, it is, it is the most visual game I've maybe ever played, and I say that without hyperbole. I, it's um, it, it's a game about. Basically, the idea is that there's this cafe that people come to in like the 24 hours before they die, before they pass over to whatever is next. Um, And it's about the people who come through that cafe largely. I mean, it has like a larger overarching story, but really it's about the people who come there. And it, it, it does an amazing job of telling the stories of those people who come through that cafe and also telling it really subtly and really visually um the art style and the direction and and the cinematography honestly i mean it sounds yeah. pretentious but it's true um is it, it's just amazing in this in this game um like the the, the very few gameplay elements there are are really bad like <laughs> like horrifically bad um, like so much so that I don't even want to talk about them because like they don't even really matter. Like the thing that matters is like the story and the characters and the visuals are stunning. Like if they turn this into an anime, I would watch it tomorrow. Oh um, my god! Yeah. Shoot, there is an anime that's a little bit like that. That that's like the bar. Everyone goes to a bar in Purgatory or Limbo. Yes. Death Parade. Death Parade. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 This is a little bit like Death Parade, which is a remarkably depressing anime for having a banging, happy theme song. This is way better than Death Parade, but yes, I am. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I thought Death Parade was all right. Truthfully. Um, It really is. I mean, like, I I like Death Parade, honestly, but um, it's a remarkable achievement in, like, storytelling and, like, so many things. And, like, when I reviewed it, like, I wrestled with, like, should I give this an editor's choice because the gameplay is so bad? But like, it, it it's so it, like I don't think I've ever played a video game that does visuals as well as Necrobrista does, and I think it deserves recognition for that. Oh, totally, yeah. This game made me feel stuff. Like, I think the dialogue is incredible in this game, and I remember um one of the writers for the game wrote up like a article about um how a lot of critique of the game, not ours, and not a few others, um like focused on how the dialogue felt unnatural and i never ever ever felt that and i don't know whether that's just because i'm familiar with some like australian like australian television or australian films or whether unfortunately because england colonized australia (laughs) and they probably have some similar dialogue tropes to what we do like it felt so warm about a game about like dying and passing over like there are some really touching moments that are really sad and I had to stop numerous times, but like ultimately it's really hopeful. And I think 
Maddie in particular, who is the main character, I say, she's the she's mm. the owner of the bar. Um, oh my god, I love her to pieces. She's delightful. I, oh, I resonate with her so much. She's so great. Um, yeah, like like Zach said, the gameplay is not good at all. Like I played on Steam and it's not very good. And I'm sure they're working on it. And there's free DLC coming out for it as well. I think there's one already out, which I think is oh, just is like concept. I think it's just concept <sighs> art though. Um, I, I haven't checked I it mean, out I'm, yet. Uh, you said art and Necrobrista, I'm there. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's some extra stories coming around for some of the characters. But yeah, like it, it felt like it feels like one of those like picture books that you like flick through and they animate as you go away. And the way like the characters like stop and move and start and things happen. And I'm just, oh, I was just watching it go through and I was like, Oh my word. I was like, yeah, it, it's a narrative treat, I would say. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I adore it. And I think it's important to know that it's like an eight to 10 hour thing. Like it, yeah. it's not expensive. Like, like you can go and experience one of the best stories told in 2020 in eight to 10 hours. And it's, it, it's remarkably well told. Like I, I, I'm still thinking about it. I think about it every day, honestly. Me too. It's so good. <laughs> it, it's so good. The music is great too. Like I, I uh, oh, I, lo- I love that Gabriel so much. <laughs> well, that is a full throated endorsement. Do we have an, a review of it on the site? We do. We do. Yeah, it's not great. By Emois. Yeah. All right. It's really good. It's a. It's like my. It's one of my favorite reviews we've done. Frankly, uh-huh. <laughs> I really like it. Yeah, Thank I mean, you. The, the, I mean, this game is at least worth a screenshot safari or Google image search, and and if, if the story is as good as you say it is, probably worth a uh, play as well. On the Steam wish list, it goes. I, I mean, like, I, I don't want to oversell it. I, I mean, like, the gameplay stuff and it is so bad. But like, I played it pre-release, mm-hmm. and I was playing it on a phone, and I've heard it's slightly better on a computer. Um, yeah. Probably. Slightly. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's awful. It, it's truly terrible on a phone. Um, but it doesn't matter. Like, I don't care. Like, it, it, like it's totally irrelevant to me. Like, it's like it's there. It's like this thing I have to click through to get to the good stuff. And like, it doesn't it doesn't detract from the experience in any meaningful way. Yeah. Sounds like the uh, extended combat sequences in 13 Sentinels. I mean, they're not terrible. Though. Yeah, but they're, but, but they're still they're still a means to an end, and the end is the yeah. is is the uh, you know the really uh, the, the excellent plot in visuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I should be a huge fan of the combat Thirteen Sentinels, so I don't know. I'm just, I think I'm, I'm the only one here. Who it's likes it. you know, it, it, I mean, it, it, it's all right, but I don't think it's the star of the show or even close. Oh, oh yeah, for sure it isn't. Yeah, but but, uh, but, but yeah. maybe isn't as overwhelmingly negative as uh, the gameplay elements seem to be. <laughs> Um, per the discussion we're uh, for for Necrobarista, per the discussion we're having right now. Yeah, well, again, they're like it's like five to ten percent of that game. Okay, like mm-hmm. most, yeah. So don't worry about it. It's like I don't know. You don't play visual novels for the gameplay, do you? Like ever? I don't. <laughs> no. I don't know. I tend to think that everyone just loves shooting arguments in Danganronpa, especially in the first one. It's just so I mean, it's so good. Just so many oh. ludic delights. And and how about a uh, and how about um like seeking out uh pornography magazines in um in a certain visual novel that came out last year, Alana? <sighs> A- AI is still amazing. Yeah, right? I I I, oh, I love yeah. AI. I love AI, uh, but but it had some parts that made you roll your eyes and some gameplay segments that did not live up to the, to the rest I of the mean, game. Like, the difference is like AI's gameplay segments were offensive, but like well executed. <laughs> Necrobaristas are like not offensive at all, but like 
horribly executed, like <laughs> remarkably badly. It, it sounds like a lot of a lot of visual novels or narrative games sometimes have gameplay elements that don't live up to the story and visuals. <laughs> maybe, right, maybe, yeah. maybe I'm just noticing a pattern yeah. here. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, I, I just think that it, do, it yeah, it, it's so insignificant that I think the story and the characters are way, way more important. On to our uh, Steam wishlist, Ner- Necrobarista goes, but let's see what's something else on this giant list, because we're past the hour mark, and we are not even close to hitting 100 games yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, Nathan, what's something else on the list we have to address? Um, I'm trying to think of a game that, that we all have, or more people besides me have just played that I want to highlight. No, it's all right. Um, Follow your heart. You can go, you can go off. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about Soccer Wars? I want to talk about Soccer Wars a little bit. So let's so. talk about Soccer Wars. Um, this is, I think, the sixth game in the series. Um, the first four never left Japan. We got the fifth one as uh, Soccer Wars So Long My Love for the PS2 and Wii over a decade ago. And this new Soccer Wars is a bit of a series reboot um, that came out in April in this year in most territories. And it has character designs by the legendary Tite Kubo of Bleach fame. I, I, I know it's Tite Kubo. Um, but, uh, but, uh, and, and, and Nathan, you played this for review or did someone else review it? Uh, I played it for review. All right. So tell us about Soccer Wars. All right. So Soccer Wars is, I think I, I made the meme list for reviewers when I gave my quote, my plot quote for this game. Okay. <laughs> I think my, my, my plot quote for this game for anyone who hasn't seen is, oh yeah, I seriously asked if I can give this game an anime out of a hundred score. It's the closest I've ever felt to playing anime aside from games based on existing anime. But, but for for me, the anime lover in me just like fell in love with this game when it came out, just because it's it's just so overwhelmingly anime that I was that uh, the all sorts of sh- like tropes are in here. So we're talking about like the power of friendship and the belief the belief in like what you love and stuff like that. It's for, basically this entire story is just one big hammy like big shonen story about like character growth and and just, just and I thought talk about French already but yeah it just felt like an anime and I love it so much <laughs> have, have you played the previous Sakura Wars game because I've heard from people who have played um, this most recent one that if you played the other ones um, it does some things to hurt that I guess like if you have history with Sakura Wars you might not like this one as much yeah because I think the main reason is they mentioned the previous cast, because like, basically this game takes place 10 years, or 11, 12 years? I can't quite remember. It's after the original Soccer Wars. So mm-hmm. this is with a brand new cast of characters. The problem is that they mention that the old cast of characters is still around, or, or like, I guess kind of spoilers that they're like stuck in some alternate dimension. But the only one who ever makes it out is the original Sakura, and everyone... But people were just uh, mad that they couldn't bring back everybody else. Well, so the Sumeria too. Sumeria is the for the for soccer wars is in the game as a as a whole. But yeah, the main issue is they have the existing cast somewhere, and they just don't really mention them. They kind of tossed off to the side just to focus on the new members. Yeah, that sounds like material for a sequel. And uh, um, I remember a lot of people playing up Sakura Wars, or not, not a lot of people, in, in, in very niche circles, uh, the older Sakura Wars games were very popular. Um, Saturn imports, maybe, I think one of them came out for Dreamcast. I, I could be, I'd have to check a list to yeah, make sure. Yeah, it did. Okay, yeah. 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 And, uh, and in um, one of the greatest uh, television commercial campaigns of all time, uh, Sega Tasanshiro <laughs> does have a scene with, uh, with 
uh, with I think Sakura from Sakura Wars Two. I want to say, yeah. so that, so I'm I'm very familiar with extremely shallow parts of the Sakura Wars <laughs> universe because I've seen those commercials only a hundred times. But uh, but but this new one at, at least like they're hitting the reset button a little bit because it's mostly about a new cast and it's at least uh, it's Sega being you know. Uh, uh, open to the idea of reviving it in a larger way, maybe if this one is successful, uh, is, was kind of the, uh, was, was kind of the vibe I got at least. Like, they're like, hey, if this is really, if this is popular, we'll make more. But, yeah. uh, but where you have to have this be mostly about new characters, cause we want those, we want Tite Kubo to do all the, all the character designs. And that, like, th- that's not the worst idea to me, but I, it had sort of a mixed reception to my, at least to my knowledge, even though, even though yeah. your review was quite positive, Nathan. Yeah, I think, um, a lot of people were kind of like just turned off by, like I said, just how animate it was, right? It was basically like full of just like all these like silly anime tropes that's, it, it, like for me, I, I loved it because the game is just shameless with it. It's just like it doesn't really care that it's it's this anime, so that's why I love it so much. But I know a lot of people. It's not for everyone, like especially because you have the opportunity to just be a, a gigantic pervert in it. So, no oh, goody. Yeah, I, I I I was worried that Tokyo Mirage Sessions was slightly too anime for me. So maybe uh, maybe I'm not quite tight enough in the middle of the Venn diagram to for Sakura Wars. <laughs> Probably not. No, this this is more anime in Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Yeah, isn't the combat different to previous games as well? This is an yeah. action RPG, right? Oh yeah, the old the older to... ones were strategy RPGs. Yeah, so right. yeah, so those ones are like reminiscent of like stuff like Fire Emblem or Final Fantasy Tactics, and this one's more like kind of like Muso. So I want to say it's more like yeah. more, more action game, like hmm. um, Muso being uh, for the uninitiated the uh, Koei Tecmo Warriors series, Dynasty Samurai, <laughs> Hyrule, One Piece yeah. Pirate, the, those those kinds Giant of warriors. Quest which is uh, like I knew it was an action and RPG, but I didn't I didn't know it quite went that far. I'm, I'm not I'm not the biggest Muso guy, although I have played multiplayer on them many many times because a few of my close friends are Muso guys. Quite not quite enough enemies for Muso, but uh, but uh, it has the same kind of feeling. So that was Sakura Wars. Um, let's see. I, I think it's time. I'm going to talk about one of my favorite games of the year. We one of the two that I've been hinting at for this entire episode, Alana. It, we're going to the underworld and then trying to escape it over and over and over. Oh yeah, let's bring mm. Eva too. Yeah, all right, let's mm. do it. Um, I'm coming. Alana, <laughs> Eva, the three of us podcasted about three different supergiant games earlier this month: uh, Bastion, Transistor, and Pyre. And we mentioned this on all of those episodes. But Supergiant came out with their fourth game earlier this year, which but it was in a. Uh, early access campaign for over a year, maybe closer to two years before then. Hades uh, came out for basically all the major si- systems. Um, or no, 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 no. Was, no, was it only, it's switch, only Switch and only PC? Switch and PC. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think early access was only PC in the Epic Game Store for a while, but then it's full... Um, yeah. Yeah, but then it's full release with Switch and PC. It's weird that it was... It was the very first Epic Game Store. Epic Game Store launched the mm-hmm. day that it went into early access. Right. Yeah, it was at the Game Awards 2018, and it came mm-hmm. out of early access on the 17th of September. And I think this is this is Nintendo's revenge for never getting a version of Pyre on uh, on, on Wii U <laughs> or Switch, because uh, PS4 had Pyre, but the Switch doesn't, so now this is, the, this is the flip side of that. But anyway, Hades 
Hades is a roguelike action RPG that plays like Diablo in the in terms of, in that it's an isometric action RPG where you uh, where you know sort of build your character and go through um, go through vaguely rectangular dungeons, but it's not like Diablo in that you complete a character build in maybe thirty minutes or less instead of hundreds of hours. <laughs> <laughs> so and uh and it, it like basically it's uh you're it's steeped in greek mythology you are the son of hades named zagreus you're trying to escape hades once you realize that the uh that um there might be something for you out there on the outside world and as you escape uh the olympian gods are nine of the olympian gods zeus poseidon and that you know that side of the family are very encouraging and send you uh aid in the form of boons and skills and upgrades and so every time you you complete a room, you get some kind of equipment or boon or upgrade that help that uh, that you know is different every time you try to escape uh, the underworld. But it is it is breathtakingly good. Like the moment to moment action is crisp and fun, and the upgrades are all huge and varied and awesome. And it's different every time you play. Uh, the more you t- the more you t- times you try to escape, you use the resources you collect to upgrade yourself and upgrade your uh, your your room and your setting and your bonuses. Uh, and uh, there, there's dozens and dozens of characters to interact with that that give you help in different ways. And a lot of, and the dialogue is just brilliantly written. And it's also a very beautiful game, visually and musically. And uh, the more you unlock and the more you play, the more lore you get, the more gameplay options you get, and the more scenes you see. It is so good. Um, it, like, like, Alana, you and I have talked about playing this game in, like, in a cleansing way. Like, sometimes you have a bad day, but you do two Hades runs, and even if you lose both of the runs, you just feel better, because this is such a feel-good game that is, that that is like incredibly deep and um you, you can play it for 30 minutes at a time or binge it for dozens of hours and you will not see the bottom of the pool of uh of of wealth and fun that this game is um this is a contender for my game of the year one of my favorite uh one of my favorite games in a long time and uh i don't know now i kind of want to go back and play it maybe you guys mind if i take a 35 minute break or no I'll, I'll wait for the podcast to end uh we're doing a, po- a spoiler cast on hades in a few weeks, or actually maybe next week. I, I'm gonna. I gotta check the spreadsheet. But uh, I love this thing. Alana, go off. Oh my god. Um, yeah, you summarized it perfectly. Um, I think it's just, and I don't think this is the only roguelike to play with a story exclusively. But like, you know, like you've said, if you die, you get like a new line of contextual dialogue. Like, hey. You died against the Bull of Minos. Oh, I'd love his signature. Why don't you get that for me? Can you do that? And then Zagreus is just like, who is the son of Hades? He's just like, Ugh, I'll think about it kind of thing. And I'm just like, go on. Like, I, I just, I think Supergiant have always been really good at writing characters, but this is like, I don't know, this is them at their best at everything. And like, you know, whatever you think of Supergiant Games' catalogue, they're all good at different things, but this is like, this is everything across the board is at least great most of it outstanding i would say this is my game of the year i have put 70 hours into it now and we're still counting and i don't think i'm ever going to stop playing it at least in the next couple of months like you know i'll pick it up for half an hour if i've had a really 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 bad day and it's like i don't know it just makes me feel really good even if i die to to Tiffany or megara or Lerny. <laughs> I love the fact that he renames the Lernian Hydra. Yeah, the, the, um, the Lernian Hydra is the boss of the second zone, uh, or, or a skeletal version of it. And around 
the 30th time you face it or something, uh, Zagreus just goes, you know what? I've been calling you Hydra the whole time. I, I got to give you a name. Let's call you Lerny. And then for the rest of the game, you call the Hydra Lerny. And even when you face it, like in big, bold letters at the top of the screen, Lerny will show up. And it's just, it, it, there's, there's so many. So good. Yeah, there's so many like quiet, uh, d- like dialogue tricks and jokes and, uh, and, and and like sort of game design techniques that they sneak into this game that like it, it, it's I, I don't know if it's necessarily the best looking or best play or I'm sorry or best written super giant game because their old games are their older games are so beautiful and so well written that it's very subjective but I think it's almost inarguable that this is the best playing one because just the the action feels so tight and there's so much variety to the uh, six weapons and then multitude of boons and weapon upgrades and weapon changes uh like because i mean it, when you unlock the guan yu spear it plays completely differently to the regular oh, it's spear so good and it's that's so good i've not cleared with it yet but it's so good yeah, but, yeah like six uh, weapons four different variants in them how many boons 40 daedalus hammers and tw- but, 20 different aspects on the mirror and i'm like have I had two similar runs? No, I don't think no. so. <laughs> like, like even if I go into a run saying, you know what? I had a sword Zeus chain lightning run. That was awesome last oh. time. I'm going to try and do another one of those. So you can equip the accessory that gives you a Zeus boon for free and, uh, and, and, and try to target Zeus stuff as much as you can. It won't be the same because this game does randomness and sort of designed uh, like, like, like sort of intentional randomness or like guided randomness in a way that, uh, that, that, that never feels broken and is just and again whether it, like there is a end game like there is a way to win because uh, you know you go through four zones and there's a fi- there's a boss at the end of each zone and even beating the final boss you, you'll get you know more rewards and more and more dialogue and more stuff but like you could just beat this game over and over forever and I and I, I don't know how far it goes because it I've only put about 40 or 45 hours in but it is there is so much to this game that I, I, I have not I, I have not seen the the bottom of the pool, top of the mountain. Pick your analogy. I have, I, I don't know. There's so much in here. And and something I really love about this game is that like I've I and all of us have seen so many depictions of Greek mythology. It's not really a fresh thing anymore. Um, you know, especially for me during my childhood, like that was when Percy Jackson and the Olympians was at its height. So <laughs> it, it, this was kind of, I was kind of subsumed in this. It was all around me. And I never really latched onto depictions of these, of these figures, even though I enjoyed the myths. But the representations and the art of these characters in, um, in the game, which we've had for 2000 plus years, they're knocking on the door of 3000 yeah right exactly like these we've known of these characters and these archetypes for so long and yet these are some of my favorite depictions of them ever you have uh uh dionysus who is so funny and so laid back um, yeah they made him calls, a, they made him a handsome, a, a handsome man yeah, a handsome muscular dude bro who clearly likes to just get drunk and party and his uh, when he gives you boons you can make enemies hung over and and get bonuses from dr- from drinking nectar and from fountains <laughs> exactly and a lot and you know these characters are not just all how um basically the the more conservative forces of the world wanted to see Greekness as like this, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed thing, which is mm-hmm. t- totally not accurate. And so you have, you know, you have black gods, you have 
um, South Asian gods. You have um, characters that are queer. You have so much more that's representative of the totality and the um, kind of beauty of Greek myth that isn't just this monolithic idea where we think of these obelisks and we think of these columns in later Roman times and everything. These are living, breathing characters that are so fresh and interesting and fun to interact with. Oh my god, yeah. I would completely agree with that. It just it just retells Greek myth so well. And also, like, I'm so glad. Is this one of the first times we've, like, most media depicts, like, Achilles and Patroclus is not queer. They well, are queer in this game. Look, they deserve to be. Looking at you, be. Brad Pitt. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Screw you. I mean, I mean, I mean, the Alexander movie um, uh, oh God, uh, was no. was a sort of bad depiction of of queerness, and then the Troy movie was a bad erasure of queerness, and they don't erase any of it in in Hades. They, I mean, like, they, the Troy movie was bad, yes. Yeah, as with Alexander, <laughs> yes. Yeah, but um, like, I mean, just just look at uh, oh, I don't know, like 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 Ganymede or Achilles and Patroclus's relationship. Or uh, oh shoot, what's uh, what's her name? Or or Sappho? There there is like in, in, in ancient Greece had uh, more than just heteronormative ideas in mm-hmm. their in their culture and in their mythology. And Hades explores it all very smartly. And like I'm I, I, I'm a big fan of not all of them, but many of the God of War games. And they focus on like the 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 darkness and the brutality of Greek myth in a way that I thought was fair. But, but, you know, very specific and, if anything, ultra-violent or too violent. But Hades portrays them not just humorously and not just and, – and, and not just through an LGBT lens. Like, like, it sort of takes a view of everything. Like, like uh, they make it very clear that the gods are powerful and dangerous. And, um, and, 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 and in late parts of the storyline, there's concern that you might anger them and bad things might happen. And uh, and also as Zeus as a cunning philanderer and not just a uh, a stoic father of the gods. And uh, and Hades himself is uh, maybe the best character in the game. Like he's he's just he's grumpy and upset that his son is trying is is angry at him and trying to escape his realm and he he mocks you and taunts you every time that you uh, you come back through the river sticks after you after you die. Uh but th- these portrayals are brilliantly written and not and, and 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 take a focus that is not exactly traditional but not disrespectful or inaccurate either. Uh like uh like like Demeter is portrayed as a winter goddess and really she's the goddess of the seasons and her form and her mood is affected by uh by what happened between her um Hades and Persephone but because of where this takes place in the in the myths of those characters She's a winter goddess who uh, is, you know, who who expresses an interest in Zagreus, but isn't, but you know, isn't privy to the whole story of what's going on in Hades right now. And it, like, it's it it fits. <laughs> like, like, like these are cartoon, offbeat representations of the Greek gods, but everything fits in a way that blows me away. Like, I and and uh, Zagreus is a completely fictional new character, but I also love that everyone just loves him. Like, Zag is in Greek myth. What? Zag Zagreus? Yeah, he is. Yeah, oh, he, I thought. Yeah. I thought it was I mean, made for the game. I mean, he's he's not talked about okay. much, but he is like yeah. he is existing as a minor character. Yeah. All right. Well, he's an extremely minor character because I, I knew I knew uh, pretty little about him, but 
but I, I think it is, I am still find it remark, I do still find it remarkable that how much everyone loves him. Like, uh, all of the, uh, Olympian guys he interacts with are like, man, we can't make to, wait to meet you in person, man. Get up here as soon as you can. And, uh, the residents of the underworld, like, uh, Nyx and Thanatos and Hypnos are all just very friendly with him because Zagreus is just such a, such a, just positive, uh, He's a polite idiot, yes. isn't he? He's mm-hmm. perfect. And and the 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 himbo word gets thrown around with him quite often, and I think it's apt. <laughs> yes. Somewhat, but yeah, you we know Gone. And um, you know something in terms of like the development of this, we've talked a lot about um, Supergiant over this month. Um, yeah, we have. With the with the writing in this game, it's remarkable that a that a former GameSpot editor in chief. Who then went to produce Command and Conquer um, over the past ten years has cemented himself as one of the best writers in games with uh, Greg Kasavin from Supergiant. Um, so just like a big shout out to him for just um, him and the whole Supergiant team. Um, these games are excellent, and uh, Hades is really feeling like just the cherry on top of. What they've done over the past ten years. I enjoyed all four games that they've made, but Hades is my favorite. I, th- I think it is the, oh, yeah. the, the most successful gameplay-wise, and just incredibly well written and uh, and and uh, beautiful to behold. I I love Hades. It's either that or another game we'll get to is my game of the year. So okay, we've uh, we're gonna we've popped off on Hades, and we will pop off on Hades later. When it gets a dedicated spoiler cast in January, but we still have plenty of other games to discuss here. Um, let's see, uh, Alana, did you, did you did any of us here play Trails of Cold Steel Four? Uh, no, and I kind of promised everybody I would. Um, unfortunately, I got Trails burnout, but I do know a bit about it. And Caitlin's review covers everything really well on the site. Um, she has said it's probably her least favorite. Oh, wow. And that seems to be the general consensus among the fandom. Even when it came out in Japan, I remember a lot of mixed reception to it because of the pacing is probably at its worst. Unfortunately, like, I really love Cold Steel 3 and it does have its issues. I like the pacing on that, but a lot of people have problems with it. But Cold Steel 3 was meant to be the end of that arc. But they decided to stretch it out over another game and you can tell apparently that this is where it, um this is where it happens um i'm not going to go into any plot because i do know a fair bit about it i have spoiled myself extensively um there are some real high moments in it like some real incredible like wow oh my god celebratory moments and like i don't know if you would consider this a spoiler but the prologue if you've played every game up until this point the prologue reunites like three of the most important characters from sky and three of the most important characters from uh, Owl and Zero, um, the Crossbell games, which we still haven't got a localization for. Um, There's there there are ways to play those games in English, but there is no official localization. I I feel like I need yeah. to mention to our listening audience yes. that probably knew that, but maybe didn't. You can go and watch our tr- um, our Twitch vods because Scott played through um, Zero on our channel, and I believe he played through Owl on his personal channel. So definitely come to the Discord and find out how you can do that. Um, but yeah, like, it's like the best playing game in the series. Like, um, some of the systems in Cold Steel 3 were a bit broken. Like, you could basically stun, you could stun lock the final boss and not get hit by it. Cause I did that. <laughs> um, but like, they've really tightened up a lot of the brave orders, which are like the commands you give the rest of your party. And 
they've made the uh, what do you call them uh the divine knight combat a little bit more tricky um which i think it needed to be because again in cold steel 3 it was really easy um but like if this game does one thing really well other than celebrate its characters i think it gives new class 7 in especially the first act like their time to shine and new class 7 are all way better developed than the whole of class 7 from cold steel 1 and 2 like Juna is great. I love her to pieces in Cold Steel 3, and she is essentially the protagonist of the first part of the game, and I kind of wish she'd stayed that way, because mm. I like Green, but Green's annoying and perfect, and just like, oh, I'm going to yeah. give you a head pat, and I'm just like, go away, you're I, a teacher, I, stop I, I, I don't, I don't hate, I don't hate Reen, but I was frustrated with him very often. I, I played Cold Steel 1 last year and Cold Steel 2 earlier this year, so I'm way behind. But uh, I, I think Reen, um, you know, I, I've had my challenges with him, and I'm a little glad that the recently revealed Kuro no Koseki, or Trails of the Black, Trails in Darkness, whatever it ends up being called, I'm glad they're moving on to new main oh. characters. I'm very glad. He looks like a right asshole, and I'm so excited. <laughs> the, yeah, the main character looks kind of looks like um, uh, I don't I don't know Mirror World Reen in a way that I I really hope he's a bit of a jerk, <laughs> like because Reen was a little bit too. Uh, yeah, two anime good boy, but <laughs> by yeah. five and anime good boy in like a, I am your teacher and I will also do yeah yeah, yeah. okay this, uh, harem yeah. anime good harem know, anime I, good as, boy I, I, I it, it drives me insane like, yeah. the way they deal with teacher student relationships in the Cold Steel and series, this but. is the worst one for it as well oh because good it's legitimate confirmed dates and romance and it's most of the girls like including. The kids you How teach. Delightful. No. Yeah. So I am not going to date that. anybody. I'm not dating anybody. <laughs> you should have said. So you're saying this should have been Juna dating all the girls instead of Reen dating all the girls. <laughs> what I'm saying is it should be Yusuke Makias, basically. Per- mm-hmm. So <laughs> all right, we're in agreement. <laughs> That's yeah, the OTP. Um, you do get to see like. Yeah, you do get to see old favorites. There are some really good things to this game, and I like it's some people's favorite. Like that's the thing. It's also the longest. Like I've heard completion times around Persona Five lengths, like 110, and I'm like, oh, yeah. So I, I do really want to play it, and I do. I've got. I do own Zero No Kiseki, and I do want to play them, but I I am a little burnt out on Trails. Hajimori came out in Japan this year, and that's meant to be really good and relatively short. I've heard like forty to fifty hours, which that is... doesn't sound like a Trails game to me. Hey, uh, Trails in the Trails <laughs> but... in the Sky is only is only thirty to forty, but uh, the Cold Steel games oh, it took it... me fifty. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it took me like thirty five or something. But um, I mean, I mean, the Cold Steel games are all over sixty, and the Zero Hour and Zero are both eighty. At least, yeah. And, um, um, second, yeah. Cold Steel 4 and Hajimari are games number 9 and 10 in the saga. That is a lot of RPG. So I think that Trails Burnout is extremely reasonable to feel, um, especially if you've uh, played, you know, multiples of these in the past year or two. So, um, and I mean, Caitlin, if anyone is a Trails warrior in on RPG fan, it's her, Or and, and, and Scott is probably second it's in Caitlin command. Scott. So for Caitlin to be a little cold on it is... A, a little alarming. That, that 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 that's a red flag. So um, I I, I mean, review is really positive. She gave it an eighty-five, so it's okay. not like a negative review at all. But, but there's just like, but, but, but she adores yeah. the others so much that still that's that, yeah. that that feels like you know lower end of the spectrum. 
Choice yeah, of think, lukewarm steel. Mm-hmm, very much so. <laughs> yeah, like I think I'd still, I, I'm still going to play it 100%. When I get to it, I, I don't know because, you know, I'm going to resub to Final Fantasy XIV at some point. Oh boy. Um, but Me like, too. Yes. yeah, I, I, I do love this series. And I think playing Sky as well is just kind of knocked my appreciation of Cold Steel a little bit down. Like, there's something so much warmer about Sky than Cold Steel. And. Yeah, I love the world and I love everything that's going on in it, but like I think burnout is understandable and like when 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 the shortest game length in your series is like 40 hours and the longest is 100 and all of them vary between that length. Like I, I totally get And there are and there are 9 or 10 games. of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, not uh, an easy series. D- do the math. <laughs> that's that's a lot of, that's a lot of hours. Um yeah. And uh, again, too many games. I don't know when I'll get to Cold Steel 4. I do have interest in playing all or most of those, but I am much closer to trying out Crossbell than continuing beyond Cold Steel 2, which again, I, I beat only a few months ago. Uh, and You've got to play third first, actually. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. I got, and I'm, I'm also, uh, I, would, I would be lying if I said I wasn't interested in, in Korono Kiseki, and if, if we get that before some of the others, that, that's at least a decision to make. But... Um, yeah, uh, we got another Trails game this year, and that is definitely a, uh, a a noteworthy date in RPG fan because we are Falcom fans a lot of the time on the website. Mm-hmm. We, we've done East and Trails games on Retro Encounter before. But let's see, what else is on their list that we have to discuss? Um, I mean, I feel like we have to talk about Yakuza. Oh, 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 we do. Let's talk about Yakuza. Uh, I said that Hades was my co-game of the year. The other one is Yakuza Like a Dragon, uh, the artist formerly known as Yakuza 7. Uh, and it, it, like, the Yakuza games have sort of always been action games with elements of, you know, beat-em-ups and, uh, and action RPGs. But Yakuza 7 is a full-on turn-based RPG. Uh, Yes, but but I, I have to say, I mean, this, I've played four Yakuza games now, five if you count the disappointing uh, Fist of the North Star Lost Paradise. But um, even though this one has a completely different battle system, it is Yakuza as hell because mm-hmm. it still is exploring a very large urban space based on real-life Japanese cities. It still is a very melodramatic, semi-serious crime drama story with some completely off-the-wall wacky writing, in it, mostly in its side content and in its specific <laughs> characters. And, uh, and, and it sort of unites all of these weird open-world uh, humor and serious storytelling uh, with so, uh, some elaborate combat. It, it stitches all of those things together in a package that is probably my favorite JRPG since Dragon Quest Eleven, which is a coincidence in that Dragon uh, Yakuza Seven or not. <laughs> o- o- openly loves Dragon Quest. Yeah. <laughs> like they, they, they even explain the RPG combat by having the main character Ichiban Kasuga say in the in in one of the opening scenes, "Well, yeah, I love Dragon Quest. So whenever I get into fights, you know, I just imagine <laughs> it like a Dragon Quest battle." I've seen that clip so many times, and it makes me laugh every <laughs> single time. It's <laughs> delightful. It's it, so cute. And, and and they, it's not a set, it's not a set it and forget it statement. It said at the beginning, like throughout the game, he he mentions that. That, like uh you know he 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 grew up in uh some pretty 
uh, remarkable circumstances. Uh, a, a penniless orphan that was raised by girls and by the, all of the girls and, and a manager of a brothel. But he was he spent his free time playing Dragon Quest games <laughs> in these unused in the in unused rooms. So he like he's a Ichiban is sort of deep down is a good person who just wants to be a hero like the like the heroes of his favorite video games but um an, a chance encounter with a yakuza when he was a teenager sort of had him commit to a, uh, a a a lifestyle of noble criminal that is perpetrated by this by the yakuza series in ways that sometimes are very hard to explain but um but but yakuza uh yakuza like a dragon is uh, a break from the previous Yakuza games in that the um, for the first time the char- the main character is not uh, Kazuma Kiryu, it's this new guy Ichiban, and it tells a pretty well self-contained story. If this is your first Yakuza game, um, all you're going to miss out on is some cameos. Uh, it's a uh, it's a perfectly self-contained story with a, a mostly new cast of characters. And if you if you meet a guy and someone says, oh, he's been in Kamurocho forever, or, oh, he's a Tojo clan legend, <laughs> just keep in mind like that that's a guy that was in a previous Yakuza game. Um, th- that's, but that's all you need to know. This is a really cool crime story, a really cool Japanese RPG with so much extra content that it is a Las Vegas buffet of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great analogy. That that makes it sound not good, except it actually is good. <laughs> yeah, except and and but the thing is, just like a Las Vegas buffet, there is so much stuff here. Even if you don't like every item on the on on the table, you'll like probably enough of them to get some fun out of the game. It's a uh, I'm underselling how much stuff is in this game. There's a full on Mario Kart in this game called Dragon Kart. <laughs> you can there are there are dozens of mini games. Including like simple things like uh, like darts and golf and baseball batting cages to things like a a uh, um, rhythm karaoke games and uh, sort of a uh, like like a reaction game where you watch movies and, and try not to fall asleep while uh, you know an army of sheep try to make you try to knock you out. Uh, what? Yeah, there's there's so much in <laughs> there's so much in this game that. I, I I could not possibly explain it all, which is why we're doing a spoiler cast on it in January. Jesus. But uh, and uh, it has a class system that's like a Dragon Quest uh, six or six or seven class system. But the job, but the uh, the jobs in the job system are things like construction worker, uh, bar hostess, uh, dominatrix, or called Night Night Queen. Um, oh, let's see. Uh, yeah, yeah, bodyguard, break dancer. Uh, multiple multiple versions of criminal or gangster <laughs> uh but it, it all comes together in a package that is definitely a yakuza game because it has all the open world weirdness and writing of uh of games like yakuza zero and yakuza kiwami which are, i played earlier this year but you know plays kind of like persona 5 in the in the battle layout and feels like a dragon quest game when you're tinkering with job with with the job system it is and and all I'm I'm tar- I'm explaining this game in terms of things that I absolutely love. I mean, I even like detective and <laughs> detective and crime stories. So this game like feels like it was concocted in a lab specifically for me to love it. It it is basically that. Uh, but Hades is so good that I can't give uh, Dra- Yakuza Like a Dragon an, equi- an unequivocal number one. Unequivocal number one. Sorry. Woo. You know, I am most of the way through Yakuza Like a Dragon. You've covered almost everything I had to say about it, Solosi. So well done. I mean, like... Uh, I, this is a game I, I was ready to pop off on. Oh, I I, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Um, I, I am not quite there on this game, but, like, you know, 
to try to say something a little bit unique about it, I feel like um, we are in an age of games that are trying to deal with norms progressing. Like, you know, in terms of our conversations about gender, in terms of our conversations about underprivileged people and Yakuza like a dragon and, and all the things you just said about it. Like, it, like everyone who listens to this podcast regularly knows that I love dragon quest and I love turn-based combat and it does those things remarkably well. But one of the things it also does remarkably well is dealing with people who are underprivileged. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. It deals with people who are homeless and the positions they've been in. And I, I found that myself in those positions earlier in my life and it deals with those things remarkably well um it doesn't deal with everything remarkably well i think there's like a soap land owner which basically means like a brothel owner in a way like it makes me want to like like identify with this man who like controls these women who also talks down to these women and i'm like no screw you i'm sorry like he's just a horrible human and i don't care when he dies Uh, spoiler alert sorry um but (laughs) the rest of the game deals with like people who are underprivileged and, uh, and underrepresented in, in ways that are really sincere. Um, and that outside of anything else, like I love the turn-based combat. I love all the ridiculousness of this game. Like I love that. Like I had a fight against a tiger earlier today and it was amazing. <laughs> um, and it didn't feel outside of the realm of this game at all. It was amazing. There's one boss fight where a chimpanzee escapes from its cage and takes over a large, um, uh, a large vehicle of construction equipment, and you 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 fight a construction backhoe uh, piloted by a chimpanzee. That that is an optional boss fight. Why? Well, that's an optional boss fight that I will be having. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and and I'm sort of a yakuza newbie. Like I, like I've played Judgment, which is not really a yakuza game, but like I had to play it for review in like a kind of a short period of time. So like I kind of blasted through it but this is my first true yakuza experience and i am going back to all of them because like give me more give me more give me more this is my game of the year it does all the things that i want it to do but also like gives respect to like all the things that i've been asking games to give respect to it's Mm -hmm. it's a remarkable achievement and um final fantasy 7 remake you have nothing on yakuza like a dragon that's all i have to say (laughs) Yeah, um, uh, again, everything you said is accurate, and they really make this a game about the downtrodden in a way, because again, uh, Ichiban was an orphan raised by people in a brothel, and uh, very early in the game, you spend some time with homeless people in a uh, in, in a community of them, and it draws specific attention to um, the plight of the homeless in Japan, and also uh, there's multiple parts of the game where uh, they, they talk about the struggle of, of immigrants coming into Japan, and how, like, there are sleazy politicians that are doing real good and squeaky clean politicians that are doing some real evil. Uh, so, so, and, uh, and they talk about how like no one is really black or white. Like the morals of modern Japan exist in shades of gray in a way that is uh, very sensitive, even though this game is sometimes really insensitive and really sexist. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, sure. yeah, yeah. I'm not thrilled that the female characters have four jobs and the male characters have eight or nine jobs. Um, <laughs> I haven't even but, noticed that yet. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but like, like, uh, so like there's a lot in this game and it's not all perfect, but so much of it is super fun and thought provoking that it, again, it's, it's a top two favorite game of the year for me. And I only got into Yakuza for real earlier this year, but um, since then I've played 
uh, Zero, Kiwami 1, Kiwami 2, and Like a Dragon, and really, really like all of them, and, and Like a Dragon's one of the good ones. I don't know if it's my favorite Yakuza game, but it's up there and super, super good. We still have so many more on these list, on this list to cover, but I think we should probably only leave it to to one or two more. Uh, does, does anyone want to volunteer something to be the final note? I mean, I'd like to hear more about If Founds from Lana. Maybe I'm, oh. maybe I have a, a maybe I have interest in that for some reason. But yeah, I mean, I can do it definitely. I haven't been back to it since May. Um, I totally recommend it. Um, it's a it's a kind again kind of like some other games it's sort of a visual novel um that plays with like identity and explores the life of a trans woman who um in ireland and again it's another game interestingly that deals with like the down the downtrodden is not the right word but like people coming up from unprivileged backgrounds and like fit trying to make like fit in in rural ireland and yeah, it, it's it does it's I think I said in my review that it maybe is one of the best games at using mechanics in a way that tells the story in a way like Celeste does. Like you know, Celeste is difficult because it's about overcoming mental health and overcoming adversity. If found is about erasing your past because it's about somebody rewriting or like coming to terms with their identity and like erasing all of the things they want to forget and you have to erase all of that stuff and it's really emotional because like the diary entries that you have to read are so evocative like it's things like going over arguments with her mother or like friendships or boyfriends or girlfriends and like people that she's had that spent these times with um and you read them and you have to let it soak in because like you have to you have to erase everything on the screen. And there's something really powerful about that. And I think the art style as well lends itself to that. Like it's very, it's all scribbly. It's very much plays with color and space. And it's, yeah, it, it's really, really wonderful. Um, I'm going to recommend the f- mobile version or the Switch version, which came out earlier this year. Um, I don't think mouse and keyboard is great for erasing stuff. It doesn't quite feel natural. Um, but I've heard like it, it's it's kind of been swept under the radar a little bit. But I think I'm not a trans person. Um, I but I'm definitely like it's maybe the best representation I've seen for that com- like the that part of the queer community and absolutely deserves to be spoken about and played more. I think. Yeah, like I, I have a lot of interest in it, and you know, and you know, you're a person of the queer community whose uh, opinion on these things I definitely respect, and um, it's and seeing this, um, hearing about the integration of mechanics, like when someone says says Celeste, my brain you know dings like oh Celeste, <laughs> so um, that sounds that sounds really interesting to me and something I really like to get into um especially having that integration of um mechanics which is kind of the main thing that i look for in a game definitely so that sounds great yeah it is really really good like there's two stories that play together there's like a girl in space and this girl in island and they don't always mesh together perfectly but like there is just something about the way it's told and the way it ties up that's really 
really really beautiful um it's only about three hours long as well so you can easily do it and mm, okay. be in like an afternoon and you can get some slightly different outcomes as well so yeah i highly recommend it and actually as a quick shout out as well because i think there are two games this year that have done such a brilliant job with queer representation it can fell i don't love this game but oh my god like this is this is written by like developed and written by a group of a uh, community of queer people and it's stunning like it's such a good like it's the first game i've ever played where someone's used neo pronouns so like i've never ever ever seen that in a game and hmm. like i had to start educating myself on it at the time because i was like i've never seen this before and it was really refreshing like every character in that game is some like fits into a queer identity or anything and it all feels so natural in the same way that time spinner does um I didn't love playing it as much as I did Time Spinner, but... There are a few games I love playing as much as I love playing Time Spinner, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, but, like, the it's just so cheery about it. Like, everybody's queer in that game, and nobody questions it. It's not, you know, it's so... It's so baked into that world, and, like, it should be everywhere. I've said this a million times, and I never feel like I'm articulate enough about it. But, yeah, like, this those are two really you know if you're looking for good queer representation in video games like if found um and it can fell it can fell is on i think it's on all consoles um it might even be on game pass if i remember rightly so yeah i would recommend you check both of them out if you're interested hilariously enough the only other game that i've ever seen use neo pronouns is uh final fantasy type zero <laughs> because oh, gosh, the moogles right? the moogles oh. use uh I believe these like Z, Zier, Zem. Yeah. Yes, the same um, pronouns. Yeah, that's the same ones that um, the character uses. Oh, and if you're into video game music, Samus does uh, one of the tracks on the soundtrack uh, composed by the people who did the Steven Universe soundtrack. And oh, it's so good! It's amazing. I I, I adore Samus. My first ex- my first that I first learned about her. Um, her stage name is Samus, spelled with two M's, but otherwise like the Metroid protagonist. Um, I uh, I the. the uh, the convention I attend almost every year, MAGFest, she performed at one four or five years ago. And in the middle of her set, she uh, she pointed out one of her young cousins on the side of the concert um, concert space selling Girl Scout cookies. So there was like a giant crowd of people watching Samus and then a line on the table next to her of people uh, buying Girl Scout cookies. Aww. It was it was the best. So uh, so some some breathtakingly uh, uh, smart rapping about video game characters and Girl Scout cookies in the like in the same breath. Uh, you, you love to see it. You love to see it. It found was the name of the game you last discussed, and I think we may have found the end of the podcast because I do not want this to go uh, into the three hour range. Um, <laughs> I, I, I get I get anxious the cl- uh, the closer up any podcast episode gets to two hours. In fact, so. Uh, I, I mean, this list again was 107 games. We are no, we I, there was no way we were ever going to get to all of them. There's uh, remakes of Rune Factory Four and Demon Souls, a uh, new Pokemon Mystery Dungeon remake. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to mention a couple of them. I'm not going to try and speed read the whole thing like I have sometimes done in the past. Uh, a, a console release of Bug Fables that Alana reviewed for the site. Um, some really interesting mobile games like Sino Alice and Tales of Crestoria. Uh, a remake of um, Sto- of Harvest Moon Friends of Mineral Town. Now Story of Seasons Friends of Mineral Town. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, Death End Request, which is a game I saw on the, at E3 years and years ago. Uh, Star Renegades, a really interesting turn-based roguelike that Greg Delmage reviewed for the site. Uh, Genshin Impact, maybe the biggest uh, mobile RPG uh, of the year. A lot of people really love that thing. 
Uh, Torchlight 3 finally came out, even though we thought it was dead and revived. Um, <laughs> oh, new- yeah, there's a... Okay. Yeah, uh, Cyber Cyber <laughs> oh, yeah, and oh, Cyberpunk. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, that happened. Uh, Cyberpunk is still happening. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's so happening every it day, and it'll probably be happening the day this comes out. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, Cyberpunk, the second biggest um, RPG release of December after Taiko no Tatsujin Rhythmic Adventure Hell Pack. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don-chan so rides again. My, my, uh, my Tales of Fantasy Draft flex pick. I was going to say a flex, yeah. Uh, there mm-hmm. was a new Paper Mario game this year as well. Like, which, That's right, um, Origami King came out over the summer. Yeah, it had some like mm-hmm. positive, like two ends of the spectrum, positive and negative reception, depending on how RPG you wanted it to be. I think people want another game like uh, the first Paper Mario or Thousand Year Door, yeah, but Nintendo's gonna not, not going to give that to us. They, they, uh, they, they want Paper Mario to stay unique, and in terms, they keep re-breaking and refixing something that a lot of fans think wasn't broken in 2003 or whenever whenever TTYD came out. Yeah, just play Bug Fables. Um, a couple I want to shout mm. out. Uh, Moon finally got a release date. Um, yeah. Remix RPG, the PS1 game, and that was really, really, um, I think... Uh, Isaac reviewed it and he was glowing about it. So I absolutely recommend you go and read that review. Can't wait um, to check it out. Yeah, I'm really, I really wanted to pick it up. I didn't have enough time. Um, Spiritfarer is like a management sim about dying and death, which I've started playing recently and is really gorgeous and really interesting. So I'm excited to dig into that. Uh, Paradise Killer is another game as well. I'm playing through right now and it is. Uh, it's another game I struggled to describe. It is one of the most bizarre murder mystery adventure games I have ever played. And I've played Danganronpa. I, lo- <laughs> I-, I love murder mystery adventure games. Not not just your Danganronpas and your Wright's Phoenix. But uh, th- that, one, th- that one is something I'm very interested in. And now's the time to shout out um, before we go into housekeeping. So please, uh, it, 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 the rest of the panel, um, go for it. Uh, one thing, a couple of games I want to put out are Sakuna, Rise and Ruin. That we, mm. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that's right up there with uh, <laughs> with Thirteen Sentinels for being a game I saw at E3 every year. No idea when it would come out, and it finally came out in 2020. Yeah, <laughs> Sakuna, the game's beautiful then, looking. Oh shit! What's the other game I was just supposed to say? Hyrule Warriors. Hyrule Warriors. Hyrule Warriors. There we go. Yep. <laughs> Thank you for Age of Calamity. That like I'm still making my way through that game, but and I had to stop because I'm playing. Uh, Fire Emblem Shadow, Shadow Dragon for review, but uh, mm-hmm. but Age of Calamity is like from what I heard, it's a great take on the Zelda on the Zelda timeline, and apparently it changes something. So apparently Breath of the Wild two might be a little bit different than what we thought it might be. Yeah, um, uh, um, Age of Calamity is a prequel to Breath of the Wild. Um, Nikki reviewed uh, Age of Calamity for the website, and she really liked it. Uh, it like it, it, I mean, it's a Musou game, so it'll play like those, but it's with a bunch of. Um, a bunch of the cast of Breath of the Wild, including all of the, uh, um, oh, what were they called? The are, champions. are they the sages? Champions. The champions, yeah. Like I, I, I knew it wasn't sages, but um, uh, yeah. But uh, we have play a really good version of playable Zelda and Impa and the four champions, and uh, and of course Link and um, and uh, and I think there's even one of the guardian robots is an ally that you can play as this time. <laughs> I think so. It's the little tiny one that you get uh, at the beginning oh, of the game. All right. yeah. A mascot guardian they... robot. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we've talked about uh, about 13 or 14 games in exhaustive detail and a, and a handful more in less in less detail. Uh, 
and again, maybe the less we talk about cyberpunk, the better. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think this is it for Retro Encounter for 2020. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on 51 episodes of Retro Encounter, including 28 panelists. Mm-hmm. Two of them were retired RPG fan staff that came back for a few episodes. Uh, five of those panelists recorded their first um, Retro Encounter episode in 2020. And, uh, again, let's go for another 51 or 52 more in 2021. Uh, you know, spirit, uh, <laughs> the spirit is willing, but, uh, time <laughs> will tell. Hopefully 2021 is an improvement on 2021 speaking in a general sense, because 2021 was a hell of a year. Thank you for visiting hell. Uh, you mean 2020, I'm sorry. Uh, you can delete all that, uh, uh, 2020 was a hell of a year. Thank you for visiting hell. But let's talk about 2021 a little bit more. Uh, we, we, uh, we mentioned we're doing spoiler casts of Hades and Yakuza. That's coming in January. We're also doing, uh, two episodes on Bots and Kaidos, Eternal Wings and Lost and Ocean coming in January. And you know what? I haven't said this yet in the podcast, but now's the time to do it. Um, February, we've already chosen the game we're playing that month. It is going to be the DS classic Radiant Historia, um, developed by Atlas during the peak of their powers. Yoko Shimomura soundtrack, really interesting time travel storyline. I played it, oh, I don't know, eight years ago, and, um, I'm very interested to revisit it. But you know what? I'm gonna, we've already planned out a couple games in 2021, and I think, I think I'm ready to tease them a little bit. Uh, what say you guys? Let's do it. All right. Okay. Um, we played Persona 2 Innocent Sin in 2020, a couple months ago, and we're going to do its sequel. Persona 2 Eternal Punishment coming sometime in 2021. I don't know exactly when. And there's another SMT game that we've been talking about playing for years on the podcast, and I think we're finally going to pull the trigger in 2021. So 2021 is going to have three Atlas games minimum. Uh, Persona 2 Eternal Punishment, Radiant Historia, and another SMT game that is not a Persona game, but I'll let, I'll let the speculation up to you. And uh, so that's four games games we've talked about, those three in Baton Kaitos. There's also uh, two big series that I want to revisit in 2021. First, uh, Dragon Quest. We did a couple episodes on Dragon Quest over the years. We did some in, on Dragon Quest V in, I think, 2017, maybe 2018. Sounds and we've done... Uh, yeah, okay. And we and we did uh, an episode on Dragon Quest Eleven in early 2019 and a couple other side episodes here. But I want to do... Another Dragon Quest game for the 35th anniversary in a couple months. We haven't decided which one yet, so we're going to put that to a vote and do a Dragon Quest game for the podcast a few months from now. Probably May, but don't hold me to that. We'll uh, we'll figure it out as we go. And also, um, Suikoden is on our minds recently because uh, uh, um, Auden, A- Auden Chronicle had a very, very high-profile crowdfunding campaign a few months ago. That got a, And uh, Suikoden has a very dedicated and very excitable fan base, of which Zach Wilkerson might count himself <laughs> am- 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 among their number. <laughs> We've done episodes on Suikoden 2 and Suikoden 5 on the podcast, and we're doing another one in 2021. Um, I won't say which one it is, but... Uh, you could at least make a reasonable guess. So uh, I can promise in 2021, Baten Kaidos in January, Radiant Historia in February, Persona 2 Eternal Punishment later, another SMT game that's not Persona later, and also a Dragon Quest game TBD and a Suikoden game TBD. That is six of the... Yes, that is six of the twelve game journals happening in 2021. Don't press me on anything else. We are... (laughs) That's all you're getting. Um... But uh, speaking of a retro encounter, uh, I've mentioned this at the beginning of the episode. I thought 2020 was a real strong year for the podcast, even though it was not a strong year for a lot of other things. <laughs> um, and, and again, I uh, I played 
depending on how many spoiler casts you count, something like 11 to 15 games for the podcast exclusively and thought that all except for FF10 2 were good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good rate of return. Like, that is excellent, <laughs> really. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say, like, at least you beat everything as well. Yeah, that that was something that I've had a problem with in the past, and I beat all of the games I set out to beat for the podcast this time, which is which has not happened before. I'm very proud of that, and hopefully I at least get close to that number again in 2021, both for how much I enjoy the games and how many of them I finish. Uh, were there any um, Retro Encounter episodes that happened uh, in the past 12 months that you, you had particular fun memories of? Mother 3. <laughs> oh. uh, that that conversation, the panel, which is many of us were a part of, um, I thought that we got to the mechanics elements of it well, but like I also just like talking about honestly, like the politics of that game and the philosophy of that game and just like the humor of it. I, I thought that the Mother Three episodes were special. Like I, I I've been on a lot of episodes of Retro, and you're. You're amazing, Mike. Like uh, truly, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate this podcast and you. But um, I thought those episodes were special. Oh, I appreciate you too, man. I loved being on the near ones, which is probably something that <laughs> y'all are going to bring up too. Mm-hmm. I love being on the near ones just because those game uh, that game is uh, it is an extremely special, beautiful game. Um, I even got to before. Before uh, you know the virus, I even got to go see the near orchestral so concert, jealous. and so mm. I mean everything around uh, that game this year. I had finished playing it um, just at the tail end of 2019, and then getting to talk about it and going to this concert. Um, there's been so many positive feelings that I've had about that game um, in relation to um, my proximity to other people, um, including, you know, people on the show. So I really love and appreciate that, uh, episode and I'm going to hold those dear. Thanks Eva. And, and that, uh, I mean, you got to go to a near automata soundtrack and near automata is a game that does a lot of things spectacularly, but the music might be a particular point of excellence. Cause Indeed. that, that it, it is one of the, one of the best soundtracks of modern video games. Full stop. Oh yeah. Boy, yeah sure. I'm getting the remake next year. That's right. Yeah, we're getting, yes. we're getting a remake of uh, of, Repli- of of replicants uh, next year. So that'll probably be my chance to finally play near one. Please do it. Yeah, yeah I, I think I'm gonna make it happen. I got it. Uh, fantastic. Oh, I, I I know it is. I I even edited those episodes years ago. Um, Persona Two is my favorite episodes. Um, just because I had so much fun. I, I, I popped off a bit on those episodes and I'm sorry about that, everybody. Do not apologize. How dare you? <laughs> Do not. If, if, how oh dare if anyone yeah. is going to apologize for popping off on Retro Encounter, it is me <laughs> I, occupying spots one, two, three through seven. All right. So yeah, don't apologize like, for popping off. Come on. But like similarly to like, I wasn't on the Nier episodes, although I did, I have played Nier Automata and Mother 3 I was on and totally agree. Like amazing. All the game journals I've been on have been really good this year, but like Persona 2 is just so fascinating. Like it's everything felt so well lined up, whether it was deliberate or not. Like it, it felt, it felt so unique, especially for like what 1998, 1999, whatever. Uh, yeah, um, it, it, um, 99, 99 and 2000 yeah. were those two. Yeah, yeah, and so like for it to do what it did and have like everything so lined up like that and just be as bizarre as hell as it was and still be engaging, like 
yeah, I, I don't think I've ever had as much fun like researching a game as much as I did Persona 2. So I'm really, really excited to play Eternal Punishment next year. It's like it's waiting on my yeah. PS3 right now. Um, We're going to try and bring the band back together for that one. See if we can recreate the panel and uh, and and revisit some of those and themes. Add cause, you cause... to it, Slowzy. Yes. Yeah, I, I I played Innocent Sin uh, a few years ago um, on PSP, but I've never played Eternal Punishment. So I'm going to try and rectify that this year. Yeah. Um, quick shout out to episode 250 as well, which I thought was delightful. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey Nathan, I, I know you weren't on a, a lot of episodes of Retro Encounter, but we had a we had a pretty good time playing Tokyo Mirage Sessions together, didn't we? Yeah, we did. It was always, it was a fun time returning to that game and getting to talk about it with you. That game is considerably less heavy in its themes compared to Mother Three, Near Automata, or Persona Two: Innocent Sin. <laughs> considerably, but it is it is a real good time. And um, I, I, again, I hope I'm not too flippant in how I half praise, half mock that game. But it is a it, it is a candy colored delight. It really is. Yeah, no, it, it's so much fun. I, I, just being able to talk about it with someone else was great for me. And okay. I, I guess, I mean, I, just to round it out to an even five, um, if I, if any new obsession was awakened in me in 2020 in video games, it's Yakuza. So th- those Yakuza Zero episodes were so much fun to, uh, um, to talk about. Um, uh, Eva, you were uh, also a semi newbie to Yakuza like me, but, um, but Rob Steinman and John O'Logan are, uh, are sort of, you know, born again Yakuza fans excited to talk about it. And those, those were really fun episodes to be on. I, I still think about, you know, the, weird interpretation of masculinity and and the weird um like celebration and critique of 80s capitalist excess in that in that game oh. it's it's like, like yakuza 7 makes a lot of sta- um statements about uh about like like the the underserved and privilege what and uh and vice but yakuza 0 makes its own unusual economic and political statements that i i still think about like those the, the those those lieutenants man they're ex- um, those characters are so excellent. I mean, we were just talking about them a couple of days ago, and we are both just like, man, they're so good, yeah. and they're so well acted. Oh, yeah, Yakuza 0. Those were some fun episodes, too. Yeah, they, a lot of good episodes of Retro Encounter in 2020 that I will re-listen to and revisit. And uh, again... Uh, um, I mean, this is the this podcast is something very important to me, and all and all of the panelists, especially you four, who have been on so many episodes, are really important to me. And and I uh, sometimes I, I I feel burned out on podcasting, but I don't know. I'll I'll uh, I'll message one or multiple of you guys about the next game we're playing, and I'll get excited again and excited to podcast again. So I'm 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 not ready to give it up, and I hope that 2021 is as fun as 2020 in podcasting. Unless it ends in January because of me, but there you go. <laughs> I, I don't think because of you. Uh, you are going. Uh, um, Alana is going to host the Bots and Kaitos episodes, and I'm excited to listen to them. Same. Even uh, in in spite of any pessimistic nonsense coming from the if other. If I can host, room. you can definitely host, Alana. You got this. <laughs> oh my god, I'm gonna fight you, Alana. Uh, no, same. Too soft to fight. Your pessimism f- makes me want to fight you. <laughs> Only fight her from a respectable distance of at least six feet away. Um, <laughs> I will. It'll be like the grin. She'll be a 39 and a half foot pole and I'm just going to be like poking. I'm just going to be like poking her in the ribs with it. Just, uh, but only if you can sing it with those dulcet tones of Thurl Ravenscroft. 
I could, but I'm not going to because <laughs> I just I, reasons. I, I just like saying the name Thurl Ravenscroft. All right, original voice of Kirby the Vacuum, Tony, Tony the Tiger, Tony and the Tiger. singing voice of of your mean one, Mr. Grinch. What a legend! Brilliant. His name is Thurl Ravenscroft. Holy moly! It's so good. What a name! Oh. You, like like you, you couldn't make up that name in a Dickens novel. You couldn't. No. no. But okay. Uh, okay. If I'm if I'm going into the uh, resume of Thrill Ravenscroft, now it's definitely time to end the episode. Uh, <laughs> but so thank you, thank you, panel. Um, I hate saying what I'm thankful for um, at Thanksgiving dinner, but I truly am thankful for all of you, and I'm also thankful for you, the listening audience. Thanks for sticking with us for two plus hours about uh, a, a podcast with retro in the title, talking about extremely current video games. So, uh, but give us this one, this one or two or three chances a year to talk about. Re- and things, uh, and especially with um, Hades and Yakuza Like a Dragon episodes coming next month. But uh, listeners, if you want to reach out to us directly, the best way to do so is email retro at rpgfan.com. rpgfan.com has message boards and a Facebook page and Instagram and Twitter and a YouTube channel that I always forget to plug and a Discord server that I usually remember to plug. Also, Twitch something a Twitch channel with something st- streaming on Twitch just about every day. Please interact with rpgfan in however manner you choose, uh, including three other podcasts. There's Random Encounter about randomness every two weeks, Rhythm Encounter about RPG music every two weeks, and Phoenix Edge, a weekly podcast mostly on current events. Those three and and Retro Encounter are findable on your regular podcast venues, including Spotify, Google Play, iTunes. Uh, provide feedback to us and them and all of us. We love feedback and re- things like reviews and feedback are helpful for other people to find the podcast do all of those things. Um, but if you want to do things that involve reaching out to, to us directly, let's tell you how to do that, starting with you, Zach. The best way to reach me is probably email at ZachW at RPGFan.com, or you can find me on Discord at ZachW. And now Nathan. Right, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at SmashKing27 on Twitter, and then Discord SmashKing. Alana, I choose you. <laughs> Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Alana Hagues or on Instagram as well. Um, on the RPG Fan Discord, I am Alana, or you can reach out to me by email. My address is alana h at rpgfan.com. And Eva. You can find me on RPG Fan's general social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can find me on my uh, personals as at Eva Lise, Twitter, and Instagram. And listeners, you can find me on Twitter mostly at the Real Monsoon, sometimes at Evoker for Dogs. I'm also at Monsoon Mike on RPG Fans Discord. Uh, but mostly, I host about 75% of the episodes of Retro <laughs> Encounter, and I will continue to do so until further notice. Um, so thank you. Uh, goodbye to 2020. Hello 2021. Good riddance. Thank you. Good night. Good luck.